Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Blog Talk Radio. Tonight on the first day of National Signing Day in college basketball, as well as other sports like baseball and softball. I'm your host, Kerry Clark of BamaMag.com, joined as always by Drew Armand of ESPN 977 in Huntsville, and Thomas Watts of Touchdown Alabama Magazine. We are here to bring you the best coverage we can of Alabama athletics, but it all starts right now with a recap of a great, great 30-16, win over LSU this past Saturday night at Bryant Denny Stadium before a sold out crowd and really one of the best defensive efforts that a Crimson Tide team has put forth in at least four years, if not more. And uh, basically, when all the smoke had settled, there was a new front runner in the Heisman race. And he wears crimson, not gold and black. Although, when it's all said and done, I think both the running backs on display at Bryant Denny this past Saturday, will be in New York, Drew. I think there's no question about it. Uh, Derek King Henry had a breakout performance as far as a Heisman moment, if you want to call it that. Uh, 38 carries, 210 yards versus the purple and gold of LSU. Uh, Just a a dominant performance on his part. Uh, The offensive line played their best game of the season, a uh, new wrinkle during the bye week added uh, with Ashawn Robinson uh, being added as a blocking tight end. Just a, uh, just a tremendous overall offensive performance. Uh, the only uh, small uh, blip uh, on, the, on the radar screen uh, being the Derrick Henry fumble uh, in the fourth quarter, but he more than made up with, for that uh, by re- helping run out the clock the last nine minutes and 18 seconds uh, to end the football game. A dominating 30-16 to 16 win uh, against Leonard Fournette, who was held to 31 yards or on 19 rushes, averaging under two yards per carry. Got 18 on one uh, particular run in the fourth quarter uh, that led to a touchdown, but it was basically meaningless at that point. Uh, the right defense was called. Uh, just the, the secondary read uh, pass instead of run, or there would have been run support there. But still, overall, uh, a tremendous effort by Alabama's defense. Uh, I think they're getting better, which is a scary thought for the rest of college football as the season progresses. Uh, become a very balanced attack and unit. 
uh, with the ability to rush the passer and be so suffocating against the run. You know, they've vanquished now the best running back in the SEC, and it's going to be interesting to see uh, how they do against the SEC's best quarterback now and Dak Prescott uh, on the road in Starkville, Mississippi. Yeah, you know, Prescott, he, he presents a challenge because he's so accurate with his passes. I, I don't think the state's running game, other than him, is anything to be concerned about. But they do have some good receivers. Uh, DeRonye Wilson's still a guy which Bama had taken, but they didn't. Uh, but they got some other good receivers, Fred Ross, a few others. Uh, there's definitely a challenge in store for the Bama secondary this week. No question about it, uh, especially due to the dual-threat capabilities of Dak Prescott. He's almost got 2,400 yards passing, 18 TDs, only one interception on the season. Uh, he's leading them in rushing 418 yards. Uh, he also leads them in rushing touchdowns with seven. So he's the complete heartbeat of their defense. Alabama defended him well last year. Is going to have to do so again. Uh, one thing I will disagree with, there, there's some thought that this Mississippi State team is better than last year. I disagree with that. Uh, there's no Joshua Robinson, who is a 1,200-yard rusher. Uh, they do have a few backs who can carry the mail. Uh, but I, I'm not sure this O-line is as good either. I've watched this team play. Dak has definitely improved his decision-making, no doubt about it. The receivers are better than last year. But as a complete football team, there's no Preston Smith on the defensive line. Uh, I just really believe this team is, is good and solid, but not as good as the one last year. Uh, and, of course, Will Redmond was healthy. This, the defense, I think, was a, a overall, uh, you, know, you know, and obviously uh, they, they've had a, 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 a middle linebacker who has moved on to the NFL, Bernardrick McKinney. So, obviously, Richie Brown has uh, had a very good year. Uh, but, again, I just think overall – uh, this Mississippi State team is good and solid and has a chance to compete well with Alabama. But this Alabama team is better than the one a year ago overall all around. The special teams of Alabama is not getting a lot of talk in the national pundits, but has really, really improved probably more than any aspect of this team. And I just really think uh, in all three phases that Alabama is a better football team than Mississippi State. And, Thomas Watts, you were there as well in the press box this past Saturday. I know you had to uh, walk away pretty impressed by the overall effort. Certainly. You, you've got to feel good about any any run-first team that Alabama will see going forward, particularly anybody that uses pro-style principles. Like, you look at the college football playoff, and I realize I completely blasted it last weekend, but if by some cosmic chance Alabama were to play Stanford, that would be such a crazy mismatch that I would feel very comfortable going in. And even when you get into guys like if Alabama plays Ohio State, containing Zeke Elliott, Zeke Elliott's in the same vein as Leonard Fournette, even though he's schematically, he uses, they use him differently schematically. So you have to feel good about it. You have to be impressed. I mean, Leonard Fournette, had his, he was averaging 190, and he got 31. And if he hadn't gotten 18, he'd gotten 13 yards total. So, you know... That's that's just ridiculous. It's absolutely Herculean effort from the Alabama defense. Excuse me, and you're three games away from another SEC title chance. Big big goings on right now. Yeah, and I was saying we already have our first guest of the evening on hold on the Big Head Barbecue Hotline. So let's go ahead and, and bring him in. To, let's welcome again to Bams Radio, my cohort at Scout.com and BamaMag.com. AP7, who was also with us this past Saturday night. And uh, AP, welcome to BAMS Radio. Oh, thank you for having me, Kerry. Glad to be here. You got a great signal, too, by the way. Uh, you, we've already 
the three of us have given our impressions of what we saw this past Saturday. Uh, what was your takeaway uh, coming out of Alabama 30, LSU 14? Yeah, it was just a tremendous effort by the defensive front seven of Alabama. I never figured they would shut him down. I mean, I wrote that he would have to carry the ball 120 times that evening to get his average of 190-something, you know, since he only he carried it for 31 yards, 1.6 average. It was phenomenal. I think it was the best defensive performance really since the Texas A&M game last year with 59 to nothing. I mean, LSU had no answer. They didn't make any adjustments. Alabama was pumped up on the offensive side. They were trying to get Derek Heisman into the conversation. I wrote that now he is the conversation. He had a, a fabulous game himself. And, and Leonard Fournette, I use this, this term very rarely, he's a great ball player. So Alabama's defense was one of the best I've seen in person, especially that front seven to stop such a fantastic rusher. He might be the greatest running back ever to come out of LSU, and that's saying a lot. Well, AP, this is Drew Yarman. Great to have, be with you. It was good to see you Saturday night. And uh, I, I just wanted to know your impressions on uh, Alabama's offensive line. I know I talk, we talked to Ryan Kelly in the media room, and uh, we, we, I knew that uh, probably the offensive line at Alabama took it personally, that uh, LSU's got all the pub going into the game. And Alabama's, and rightfully so, had, had struggled uh, some throughout the season. But I thought overall there were a few negative plays. But if you, gave, if you take it in context, from start to finish, I thought it was their best game of the season. Uh, I thought they really played well as a unit. Yeah, they, they did, Drew. The, you know, 250 yards net rushing from a team that was giving up about 90. You know, there were the few sacks. Uh, they seemed to have some problems in the past, uh, you know, pass blocking. But overall, it was a tremendous effort, good effort. And Alabama's offense, I mean, it's predicated on Derrick Henry making yards. I mean, if they lose Derrick, it's going to be very difficult for Alabama. They have four receivers, I believe, that they can throw the ball to with confidence. You know, Darius Stewart, he did have another drop, but he, he's still a good receiver. You know, Calvin Ridley, he catches anything near him. He's so fast and quick, they can't guard him one-on-one. -on -one. Richard Mullaney, he's glue-fingered. And O.J. Howard, you know, he had a career game the, game the time before. So those are four good targets for uh, Jacob Coker. Jacob's getting more comfortable. And for those who think he can't run, you know, he was a basketball player in, in the city of Mobile, one of the best. And he, he told me one time when I interviewed him before he transferred, he ran a 4 7. Hey, Pete, there's also, I'm glad you brought that up about him being a basketball player in Mobile because people that attend games down there on a regular basis still talk about a particular dunk that Jake had. And I don't even know who they were playing that night, but uh, he, he jammed <laughs> over somebody. And uh, they said it was one of the most awesome dunks they'd ever seen in a high school game, regardless of whether the guy was a prospect or not. But he, he's a little bit better athlete than, than we thought. Uh, you know, kind of a yeah. taller watch type of guy back there. And uh, I, I wanted to also ask you, uh, AP, uh, some people are calling this next week, uh, this coming Saturday, a few days from now, some people are calling it a trap game. But I, I think that, and you can correct me if you, if you disagree, but, I think the leadership on this Alabama team, starting with Reggie Ragland and a few others, is not going to allow that to be the case. I think they're going to approach this game with the uh, the mentality that they discussed this past week, which was we just need to go 1-0 and every week. They've used that approach since the Ole Miss game, and it's worked. But do you sense a leadership uh, quotient on this team that's going to stop it from being a trap game? I believe so. I agree with you, Terry, because – you have Reggie Ragland, as you mentioned. I mean, Jacob Coker, 
He, this is his first year starting, but he, I think everybody's bought into him being the quarterback. You have Ryan Kelly on the offensive line. Uh, I think there's got there's got some strong uh, leadership and, and enough leadership to prevent that from happening. And the chips have been in the middle of the table ever since they played Ole Miss. Yeah, and, and AP, I got to say, uh, the special teams unit, you know, we talked about it just before you came on the show. Uh, it has improved, I think, more than any aspect of this football team uh, from the first game to now. I mean, the, the transformation of Adam Griffith uh, has been stunning uh, from the 0-4 to 13-15 with a 55-yard field goal. We've all seen what J.K. Scott has done over the past four games. And to be honest, I've been watching Alabama football a long time. We know how talented a squad LSU is, and their special teams have struggled this year as well, uh, AP. But i got to say, the kickoff coverage was phenomenal Saturday. Yeah, Tony Brown was very good, and, and uh, Drew, you brought up a good point about Adam. I was so happy. We, we were sitting in the press box, I recall, and uh, Kerry, I think you mentioned that Kirk, uh, Kirk was in between us, and we both wanted him to let Adam try that field goal. And I think it was important because you can't give somebody confidence, but you can give them an opportunity to improve their own confidence. And somewhere down on the road, Adam might have to come into that ball game and nail a 50-plus yard field goal. Now he's made it in a crucial game right before halftime. I think that was a very, very important play. And also, you know, we're we're going to – talk to one of his fellow Hoover alumni here in a, in a little while, but I think it, it, it goes without saying the great job that uh, Michael Nicewander is doing for Alabama this year. He had a hit in the first half on a kickoff that was pretty much the equivalent of Tony Brown. But then, <laughs> uh, AP, on the last touchdown that Derrick Henry scored, uh, Michael Nicewander absolutely destroyed an LSU defender. I mean, you talk about it. I don't think pancakes is strong enough word. He, he planted him in, in the dirt. And I think Nicewander has really become a big factor on this team as, as a 50-year guy that was originally a walk-on. Yeah, I think, Kerry, you said knocked him in the next week is what he did at, oh, he on that play. Yeah, 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 I think I did at the time. <laughs> he absolutely <laughs> yeah, he, and uh And he got nominated today for an award that goes to people that started out their careers as walk-ons. Now, he's a scholarship player now. Uh, but he started out his career as a walk-on and today was nominated for a national award for that very thing. And I, I don't know who the other guys are nominated are, but I, I think Mike's got a shot. Yeah, I think the quarterback from uh, Oklahoma was one of the nominees as well. That's one of the names I saw come across Twitter. But, yeah, that, that's a, a fantastic story. Someone starts as a walk-on and he's now he's a, a key member of the team. And those are great feel-good stories college football fans that they relish reading about and hearing about, and good, good for him. It's the Burlesworth Trophy, just to be specific. The award is called the Burlesworth Trophy. But I know Drew's got another question for you. Yeah, AP, I, I, I just wonder uh, now, your thoughts on the matchup with Mississippi State. Uh, obviously, there's already been a lot of talk about can the team come back down, can they remain focused, uh, the level that uh, – Dak Prescott has played, uh, especially in the last month. Uh, he's, he's really uh, – his accuracy has increased. He seems to be playing uh, with renewed confidence. Their offense has been much more productive. 
I do think they're going to attack Alabama in a different way. I think they're going to throw to set up the run and attack Alabama's secondary. But this defense has been getting better every week. Honestly, I, it comes down to this for me. If Jake Coker protects the football, I think Alabama is still going to win by double digits. I don't think this Mississippi State team is quite as good as last season. Just wanted to kind of get your thoughts because I know you watch keenly everyone in the league. Yeah, I, I don't. I agree with you, uh, Drew. I don't believe they're as good as last year, and I think the game begins and ends for Mississippi State with that Prescott. He's that important. I mean, he's one of three guys I think in the SEC to be involved with a hundred touchdowns, I and mean, that's quite a quite a statistic. Uh, I think T-Bone Manziel were the other ones. He's he's played much better this season, been more efficient. I had a chance to speak with Dan Mullen. Uh, during the SEC teleconference today. He, he's understanding the offense better. He un- recognizes the defense. He's staying in the pocket. He's more efficient, and he's, he's holding on to the ball so he can look for the third and fourth receiver in the progression. So he's improved and shown uh, consistent development. So Alabama's going to have their hands full. He is one of the better players in the league, but if they can slow him down just as they, as they did Leonard Fournette, uh, Alabama's going to have a good chance to win. They have some big physical receivers, Darunian uh, Wilson and Fred Ross, big guys, six five, six two, strong, can go get the football. I mean, you could guard them perfectly, but they can out jump you and and use their strength to wrestle the ball away from you. So that'll be a challenge for Alabama's young secondary. And they see another thing we wanted to have you on tonight about was, uh, well, you're a man of many causes. Uh, we've had you on here to talk about the Snake Stable Hall of Fame deal. That's well on its way to happen. Uh, we've had you on here to talk about the DVD, about the Wishbone Boys. That seems to be making some progress. But your newest project uh, is promoting the uh, book, the uh, biography of Mal Moore. I believe it's called Crimson Plain. Crimson Heart, I'm sorry. Crimson Heart by Steve Townsend, uh, who's a, a good friend of mine. And, uh there was a book signing at uh, Ferguson Center this past Saturday with a couple of former Tide greats on hand that played under Coach Moore. I understand that was pretty successful. It really was for having such bad weather that day, and it was for one hour at the uh, University Supply Store at Ferguson Center. We had two Alabama legends who rarely make appearances and have these types of exchanges with the fans, uh, Johnny Musso, from the first wishbone, 1971, uh, two-time All-American, and, of course, Ozzie Newsom in the College Football Hall of Fame and the NFL, the Pro Football Hall of Fame, and, and Johnny's in the College Football Hall of Fame as well. And they were just generous and gracious. And they, when the call was made, they said, well, what can we do for Coach Moore? He was such a beloved figure in the University of Alabama Athletic Department and the university as well. And the book is, is quite a, uh, a good read. It's like you're having a conversation with Coach Moore. You can hear his voice, his, for those who are familiar with his uh, voice. And his personal memories of his national championship runs, his, his near-death experience, Alabama switched to the wishbone, some, some funny recruiting stories. You know, he coached at Notre Dame and in the NFL. And, you know, Coach Moore was so selfless, and nothing represents that more than what he had to deal with. His wife had Alzheimer's at a very – the age around 50 years. She had it for 20 years, and Coach Moore took care of her right to the end. He was a very faithful gentleman. And then they had to build, rebuild the program when he got there as the athletic director, and they went through some hard times, and he was trying to raise all the funds, not when they were at the zenith as they are now, but when they were down. So he 
raised enough money to build all these facilities one by one, you know, softball and football stadium. And so he, he was really quite an, uh, quite a strong individual. And in his own way, uh, the, the Mal way, he would be advancing towards the goal. He would be around strong people and trying to uh, get them to donate to the university. And, and he always was pretty successful, as, as you know, as both of you know. And uh, he's the only person besides Nick Saban that really know, knew what happened in, in the hiring. So there's a couple of chapters devoted to that subject. And for most people, they would, I think they're really going to enjoy this book if they get a chance to, to uh, read. And it's a great gift provide someone who likes Alabama football, who likes college football, who likes college athletics. Uh, they can buy the book at Books A Million, Bama Fever, a lot of local stores across the state, the University Supply Store, and at the Crimson Heart Foundation. And for those e-readers, it's available on Apple and Kindle and Nook. I can tell you, Arnold, I have a, a bad habit of... Uh buying books like that for my father-in-law and actually reading and giving them to me to read. And that is one that he has in his possession that I'll be getting back at, at some point between now and Christmas. But, uh, so I will be reading the book, trust me. Uh, and I'm glad you were able to point out uh, the, the various ways that people can get a copy of the book. I was just curious if you could uh, let our listeners know how you came to be involved in the book's promotion. Well, it's really kind of a funny story. I was, I had parked my vehicle, uh, about five or six blocks from the university, and someone in the distance was waving, and I couldn't see that far, but I thought it was Heather, Heather Moore Cook, the daughter of Coach, the late Coach Mal Moore, and I caught up to her. We were walking to the stadium, and she, she was talking about her daddy's book, and I just wanted to do a few things, and, and really that's how I got involved. And AP. Uh, I, I truly, I uh, completely agree with everything you just said. I know Coach Moore at one time uh, during his professional career as a coach, and and not many people. I, I've said this before. Uh, he was a very successful offensive coordinator at Alabama under Bear Bryant. Came back under Gene Stallings. Of course, reached the NFL also under Coach Stallings, and and also not many have also been the offensive coordinator at Notre Dame. So as an assistant, he was highly decorated. I know it was disappointing to him to never become the head football coach at Alabama because I think that's what a goal he'd always had. But he left a legacy that will be everlasting uh, as an athletic director because he really uh, set this uh, football program up, of course, with Nick Saban. But as you said, he set up the entire uh, athletic department. And I know probably one of his proudest moments was when you win four national championships really in a calendar year. He had so – I mean, and, and luckily – he was able to see that, and and again, that's something that uh, that it, that uh, it, it will be uh, forever uh, linked to him, and should be. And uh, I, that's that was the thing that I took from it. Uh, he may not have been able to be the head football coach at Alabama, but he still had a he played a crucial role in the history of the athletic department and getting it to the really the strongest point in its history. Yeah, I mean the football office is named after him, and as you said, Drew. He touched all those other sports and made him. He set the table, as he always said so many times, for those coaches. They had all the facilities, and they can go out and recruit. And he tried to get people in there that could love the University of Alabama just as he did. I mean, that was his unique selling point. He he wanted to know, can you love this university and stay here forever? If, if that's that's the situation. And how many people, Drew and Kerry, could say they were a confidant of Coach Bryant? Coach Stallings, 
and Nick Saban. There's really nobody who can make that claim. Great point. Great point, AP. Absolutely. Another thing I wanted to touch base with you on AP was that the, the national signing period began today for basketball, baseball, softball, what have you. Alabama was able to receive two signed letters of intent today from uh, Braxton Key, a small forward, and also from guard Armand Davis in the JUCO ranks, who uh, Avery Johnson and his staff had ranked as the top available JUCO. They did not receive the letter yet from Terrence Ferguson, and uh, his mom especially wants to set it at a time when she could be there. I saw where a fan or two of Alabama got on Twitter berating her for that. That didn't look good. But anyway, he's strong to Bama. Uh, Avery Johnson is, has reeled in what Scout has ranked as the 11th best class in the country. But you kind of get the feeling, and I know Drew agrees with this, you kind of get the feeling that he might not be done yet, AP. Yeah, I mean, of course, they're trying to go for the big prize there, the big man in Texas. But I, I don't, I don't know if we will be able to convince him for the early signing period. But um, they're still in the mix with him, so he's got three, uh, hopefully, three good players, and uh, you know, Braxton Key and and Davis and in uh, Ferguson. So he's well on his way to to bringing basketball back to Alabama, I believe. He really is, AP. There's no doubt about that. Uh, and then, of course, they I thought Alabama was impressive uh, against Trebek and Nazarene in their opener in the exhibition season. Now, of course, it'll be for real against Kennesaw State uh, this coming Friday uh, at 7.30. I know a lot of people are anxious to see that, uh, anxious to see the product on the floor. Uh, I, You know, I, it's, it's obvious to me uh, that this coaching staff is the polar opposite of what we've had at Alabama uh, for the past near decade under Anthony Grant, you know, seven years. Uh, these guys are extremely uh, personable, great recruiters. But the biggest thing that I'm excited about is player development and coaching. I felt like it really lacked uh, over the last several seasons, and players, uh, for a, to, to a degree, did not get better. And I think you're already seeing it uh, with some of these current guys. Really, really excited to see the progress of big men like Jimmy Taylor and Michael Kessens, who I think were really suffering and then, of course, uh, Dante Hall, they get a chance to work with him from day one. But very excited. I, th- I think the perimeter play is going to be there for this Alabama team. But the, if they want to reach postseason, the big men are going to have to play uh, at a higher level. Yeah, I think, Drew, that's the key in recruiting in any sport. You go out and get the top talent. That's only the beginning. You have to develop the talent because if it just stays the same, and they're going to be making a lot of mistakes and they're going to be grumbling because other players around the league and the country are going to pass them by and they'll be disgruntled and wanting to transfer and, and those types of things. So, yeah, the player development is, is right behind recruiting. But that's the second most important thing because they're all looking to play at the next level. And if you, you can't show a history of getting people into that league, you know, in the next couple of years, or let's say two, three years, you're going to be bypassed as a program. Well, AP, will you be able to uh, make it for his official opener this week? I sure will. I, you can count on it. I, I'll be there, and I look forward to it because I want to see the women play as well. I'm, I'm excited for uh, Coach Curry and how she's getting some players. And uh, I had a chance to visit with one of their signees. I was at the Blunt High School football game, and she she plays for Jumps here in Johnson. So. She's a good-looking player herself, and that's the key to building your program, getting good players and developing them. 
yeah, Drew and I got a chance to see her play at the state tournament this past year, and we were, we were pretty blown away at the time, just kind of hoping Coach Curry could get her. And Coach Curry was there, too. We met her. She was there, you know, making sure Sierra knew she was there. And uh, Coach Curry certainly has that program headed in the right direction. And you're right. For those of you who don't know, there's a doubleheader at Coleman Coliseum. Uh, the women will play at 4.30 and the men at 7.30. So uh, one ticket gets you into both, and the tickets are, are actually going for $5 a piece. They're trying everything they can to get as many people as they can into the game this week. So it's a, it's the opening game for both of them. Both of them won their exhibition handily. But it all counts uh, starting this Friday night. And another thing I wanted to ask you, AP, when the, the media voted in uh, Charlotte at SEC preseason basketball media days, they picked mm-hmm. this Alabama team, which has 10 legitimate players on it, really 11 if you count a very quality walk-on in Boston Schaefer. But we'll say 10 legitimate scholarship players in its rotation. They picked the team 13th out of the 14 teams in the league. And I know maybe I'm a little biased, but that seemed to me a, a little harsh and, and a little little low. What, what are your thoughts there, AP? Well, I would, I would say probably they picked them that low because they're not sure about the offense because Alabama has had trouble scoring in recent years. So until you see those freshmen or those new players that have transferred, you're uncertain about their ability to score. So that's fine where they pick them, and it, it makes for good good fodder for the coach to maybe motivate his team every once in a while. But I think Alabama, what you're looking for is the development of players, as we spoke about, and you want to see them upset some of the top-tier teams because that would give an indication that either by their scheme or their efforts or their uh, skills or, or all three that they are moving in the right direction. Yeah, they really are, AP. And uh, and, and then, obviously, it's, it's huge if he can continue to. Uh, he's already got a top-ten class. If they were able to get Marcus Bolden, it would be top three. And in uh, his first class without ever coaching a game, that would be so huge on so many levels because as someone I know that follows high school basketball in the state of Alabama, you know how talented this 2017 class is. John <laughs> Petty, obviously, uh, Alex Reese, uh, Jamal Johnson. Uh, he could start putting in some pieces uh, from in-state next year and really turn this roster over quickly. And as we know in basketball, recruiting is the lifeblood, and you can get better at a very, very, very quickly if you can work the recruiting trail. And, of course, there was question about that when Avery Johnson was hired. Uh, he silenced that uh, very, very fast. Yeah, he went out and got some, some good commitments, and, and I think you'll see him get his fair share of those uh, that, that class of 2017. I, they're going to be looking uh, with a lot of curiosity of how this team performs and how he coaches. So I, I think he's in good stead. And he, I think one of the things he's done is he's playing fast. I think that will excite people and the players as well. And it will put people in the seats. And, I mean, it's very difficult to watch, in this day and age, 50, 60-point games. And the possessions are long and extended. Alabama always has always loved good defense. You know, has always played good defense with their basketball programs usually. So, But now they want to see that quick-paced offense and see some excitement. Yeah, and, and finally, we want to thank you for joining us, AP. But I'll tell you this. I wanted to tell you and Carrie this both. I got a phone call today from Jack Doss this afternoon. And, uh, of course, they're well underway practicing at J.O. Johnson. Their opener will be November the 20th against the Sparkman Senators. But, and this is saying a lot. He said this is the most athletic team he has ever coached. 
And uh, in my opinion, they have a chance to be the best team in the state, regardless of class. So anytime you get a chance to come catch J.O. Johnson, and they will be playing, of course, most of their games in the Huntsville area, but they're going to play in in a few tournaments as well, including against Terrence Ferguson in Kentucky in in a tournament in Kentucky uh, AP and I know you're the traveling man. That might be something you could catch, but should be a heck of a matchup. I'm glad you told me that. You never know where I might end up. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Well, AP, thank, thank you, you so much. much for joining us. Uh, we're so glad to have you as a friend of this show. Uh, we do have another guest on hold right now, and you might want to hang on, and listen to some of it, AP, because it's a name that you'll remember from the very recent past. But thank you again, AP Stedham from BioMag.com. And, Drew, I'll let you introduce the next guest on the Big Head Barbecue Hotline. Well, you know, I'm, I, we're honored. Uh, he's been a, a two-time guest and a regular on my show, uh, uh, Talking Ball on 97.7 The Zone in Huntsville. This will be his first appearance on BAM's radio. I really wanted our expansive audience and our hardcore Bama fans uh, to also hear from him on BAM's. And we're, it just, it's just a really, really neat situation to be joined right now by – former Alabama defensive back and two-time national champion uh, and former Hoover Buck, Will Lowry. Uh, Will, how are you doing tonight? Doing well. What's going on, Drew? How you doing, Will? Uh, just, we're doing great, man. We're just uh, we're glad you could take the time tonight. Uh, we know it's been a very busy time of year for you. Uh, we wanted to just kind of let uh, the BAMS radio audience hear uh, your thoughts on this Alabama football season. Uh, you're someone that, you know, walked onto the program in 2008 and very quickly became an integral special teams player and then the dime back on some of the most talented Alabama defenses, including uh, 2010, 2011, and, of course, won, a two th- uh, and won two national titles uh, and were an integral part of both those football teams and just someone that the fans recognized and, and, and knew was a, uh, it got the most out of his ability and just really were drawn to. And we're glad you were able to join us tonight. And we know it was your first uh, uh, game. Uh, you got a chance to see it live in Brian Denny, the performance against LSU. And you were a part of some great defenses. But talk about what a special performance that was this past Saturday night. Yeah, it was something else. Um, this team has uh, done a really good job this year of finding their identity thus far. Um, they've, you know, they had some areas that they really needed to improve. Uh, they, you know, they haven't done uh, solid across the board, which you can't really expect. Uh, but you know, there were some glaring weaknesses in the team uh, earlier on in the year, and I think they've done a great job of continuing to pr- improve week in and week out, uh, which at the end of the day is all you can ask of a football team. Uh, and they've continued to do that in all areas, uh, particularly in the secondary throughout the course of the season. And uh, I thought this past weekend took tremendous strides up front on the offensive line. Uh, the front seven is well documented. They've, uh, they're they're as, as good as you'll see in college football, uh, certainly as good as, as I've seen them since uh, my last year, 2011 there. Um, and I think they, uh, you know, hopefully they haven't peaked. But, uh, I mean, you just can't say enough about the performance this past weekend. Unbelievable game uh, from all sides of the ball. I mean, offense held on to the ball for, uh, you know, the majority of the entire game. Uh, defense showed up and shut down one of the best running backs I think Alabama's faced in a very, very long time. Uh, and special teams, too. I mean, I think that uh, this year we've uh, special teams has not necessarily been a weapon for us, but, uh, you know, we came out, had a good punt return, uh, had some huge hits on kickoff that just really set the tone. Uh, Tony Brown and, and uh, Michael Nicewonder, another walk-on from Hoover that's done a really good job uh, on offense as well, clearing holes uh, for Derrick Henry. And, um, I mean, you know, just where, where do you want to start? I mean, it really was an unbelievable performance um, from all the guys. And, you know, it's just 
the only thing you can say about it is you hope they don't they didn't peak too early in this game. They've got to continue to build on this. Can't get content. Uh, because they've got a huge challenge this weekend, and uh, we'll have big challenges throughout the rest of the season and leading into the postseason, hopefully. Well, I'm Terry Clark. I'm Drew's co-host. Uh, work for Bama Magazine, BamaMag.com, Scout.com, that group, and uh, I do a column called Friday Night Lights. And one thing I can say about you and Michael Nicewander both is I was writing about you guys from the 10th grade all the way through your Alabama careers, and that's been very cool for me. But I say that to say this, uh, who has the better locker room speech when you're losing the game, Rush Probst or Nick Saban? (laughs) Uh, That's a tough question. Um, You know, they both bring their own to the table. Uh, I think Coach Saban says uh, more what you expect to hear or what you – what you would – you know, what you would guess to hear. You know, he he likes to fire you up and uh, tell you, you know, the things that you need to do. Uh, Rush is a little more unconventional. You know, he'll talk about the things that maybe not, uh, you know, you're supposed to talk about as a head coach. Uh, You know, he'll get in your face. And, um, you know, they both have their own way of going about it. But by far and away, two of the most uh, inspiring coaches with with some of the best pep talks uh, that you could could listen to anywhere. Um, And I think Coach Saban, one thing that he does extremely well is he's just uh, an extremely good facilitator. Uh, And what I mean by that is, you know, he, he knows the heartbeat of the program. He knows the heartbeat of the team. He knows how they're feeling. He knows uh, when they're overconfident. He knows when they're uh, maybe down on themselves. He knows when they might be worn out. Uh, and he does a really good job of uh, saying what is necessary to elicit the, the response that he wants to see out of the football team. So, you know, you take a loss uh, like we had in this game in 2011 in the regular season at LSU, you know, terrible loss, game of the century, building it up. Uh, played really well, but then ultimately end up losing the ball game. It's late in the year. There's only a couple left. You think you're out of it, um, and everybody's just kind of down on themselves, and he comes in, and, you know, a lot of people know, and Saban as the hard-nosed guy that he is will probably expect him to come in, you know, pissed off and angry and, and yelling and screaming, but he comes in clapping his hands, telling everybody how proud he is of them, and, and uh, you know, to keep your head up and to keep fighting and, you know, just keep playing. You never know what happens, and, uh, that's what we did. You know, I think that was important for the team to hear him support us and tell us that we played well. And, you know, he wasn't angry at us. He was proud of the effort that we put out there, and we were just unfortunate to lose. And uh, so, you know, you, you take that, and, and we were able to turn that around and uh, finish out the season and, and ultimately get retribution uh, in a, a pretty similar uh, dominant fashion. Uh, so, you know, I have no doubt that he didn't just go in the locker room slapping these guys on the butt, telling them they were the best team ever, and it was all over. Uh, you know, he probably went in there telling them they played a tremendous ball game to enjoy it for 24 hours, but to get ready for the next one because uh, they've got a, a great challenge in Prescott this week. Um, but, you know, a lot of areas to build on from this week. I mean, like we talk about the offensive line, just uh, really having their way up front, uh, gelling together and, and, and being dominant, moving guys up front, the defense. Uh, just, you know, living up to the bill. I mean, you know, we've, we've talked about them all year. Everyone's talked about how good they are and, uh, came in against one of the best running backs I've seen in college football in a long time and just completely shut him down. I mean, took his will away, uh, you know, outside of that last drive when he knew he was sniffing the end zone as close as he'd get it uh, all night uh, after the fumble. You know, maybe it had put a run or two together there. But outside of that, I mean, you could tell by the end of that ball game he wanted no more part of that game. Uh, they They really dominated the game from start to finish in all phases physically, mentally, um, you know, I mean, just complete uh, shutdown of him and, and the offense. So, 
Um, just can't say enough about him. Um, I thought the DBs did a tremendous job of coming up and hitting him as well. Uh, Geno Smith came up and filled the hole a few times. Um, Marlon Humphrey coming up and doing the same. Eddie, you know, all those guys coming up. And that's a tall task, uh, asking them to bring down a, a guy that size. You know, I mean, it's, it's not hard. I mean, it's not easy to bring down a guy like that. And uh, they did it uh, over and over again throughout the course of the game. So, um, you know, all sides of the ball took steps forward, continuing to improve like we're talking about. And uh, this is the time of year that you want to see everything really starting to come together. And, uh, and Will, I know you've seen uh, Coach Saban do this a couple of different times. With He's, he's uh, tweaked it, tried to help the offense in the red zone. And first he did it with Terrence Cody, then he did it with Jesse Williams. Your thoughts on coming out of the bye week and then adding Ashawn Robinson as a blocking tight end? I thought it really helped uh, the red, uh, the running game in the red zone and uh, provided them with some spark. I really I think that move and, and, and no disrespect to Terrence Cody and Jesse Williams who did a nice job, but this guy, as you watched, is an athletic freak and I think he can really help the team down the stretch on both sides of the ball, maybe even as a receiver. <laughs> uh, so uh, what, just your thoughts on uh, the wrinkle added by uh, Coach Saban and Lane Kiffin? Yeah, I think it's great. You know, I think this is uh, the type of thing that uh, maybe we uh, maybe we lacked on offense uh, in previous years. Obviously, we threw some guys in there like that, but uh, to have somebody come in and really be effective, I mean, he came in and was blowing guys out of the hole um, and, you know, obviously blocking the field goal and everything else. I mean, like you say, he's just an absolute specimen. Um, you just don't see guys that size move like that very often, so – um, you know, maybe it's a new weapon they've discovered. I think uh, with what he showed this last weekend, I'm sure that they're uh, they're looking forward to maybe trying a new wrinkle here or there. And like you say, maybe slipping him out in the flat. You know, who knows? Maybe putting him in motion. I mean, there's, you know, any number of things you can do with a guy like that. I mean, it's just invaluable to have an athlete like that on the team. So um, I think it was great. You know, I think that's something you can expect with Kiffin, just kind of mixing things up, um, bringing, bringing new stuff to the table. Um, and, and, you know, you got to have that coming out of a bye week and in big games like that. There's no doubt that LSU did the same thing, showed some stuff that, um, you know, they haven't showed yet this season, came out with some wrinkles, and uh, fortunately ours proved to be effective. Um, so, yeah, I mean, that, that guy is, is something else. I mean, it just really takes you back uh, when you see a guy that size moving like he does. Um, it's just, man, that's, that's, a, that's a tremendous combination of, of size and agility that that guy's got. Well, I'm sure you remember a guy that writes for the Tuscaloosa News named Tommy Dees. Uh, Absolutely. But I'm, I'm, I'm bringing that up because – and I hate to even bring this game up because it ended so badly for us. But back in the 2010 Iron Bowl, uh, actually in the first half when we were still winning, you made what I would consider to be one of the best open field tackles ever on, on Cam Newton. And Tommy Dees in the press box, you know, he's always getting these clips for everybody around to hear well, it's what it took, everybody. It took it took Will Lowry to stop Cam Newton. Now we know. <laughs> what, what do you remember about? I know you remember that play, but but what do you remember about that play in particular? And then what's it like for you to turn on the TV on Sunday and watch that dude that you tackled in the open field, which few people could do, playing pro football? Yeah, I mean, it was uh, certainly one of the uh, one of the highlights that I remember of my career, taking down a guy that um, is, is leading a program undefeated through the NFL through this point in the season, you know, Heisman winner. I mean, uh, while we're talking about unbelievable combinations of size and speed, I mean, it's just kind of scary how, how good of an athlete and how talented that guy is uh, to be able to, to move as quickly as he does, 
uh, and, and to be able to lower his shoulder and, and run with such uh, power that he does and also to throw the ball as well as he does. I mean, he's just an unbelievable athlete. And um, it was, you know, a, a great opportunity to go against someone like that uh, and in that game. I mean, there was a ton of athletes on the field uh, for both sides. And uh, honestly, the only thing I remember about that game is, is, is losing. I mean, that's the ultimate feeling that I remember and, and the uh, the pain of that loss. I mean, the, the hardest loss of, of my career uh, in, in any sport, any game ever, uh, losing to those guys. And, uh, you know, just the nature that we lost was, was as hard as anything. But, uh, yeah, I mean, that particular play, we were uh, – I had come down, we were on a safety blitz on the outside, and I came off the edge, and he kind of slipped up through the middle of the line, and uh, I think he slipped out of Marcel Darius's hands. And, uh, honestly, I don't even think he ever saw me coming. And going back and, and watching film, uh, I, I kind of thought about it a split second in the play. But, um, you know, he was swinging the ball out there like a loaf of bread. And, honestly, if I had another opportunity at that play, I'd have, I'd have tried to punch it out because I definitely had an opportunity. But at the time, all I was worried about was getting him on the ground and making him punt it because it was third and long. Uh, which I was able to do, but, um, you know, just a great athlete. Um, there was a lot of plays in that game that uh, I think a lot of us wish we could have back or have done differently. And, um, you know, it's it's really fun watching those guys on Sundays. I mean, you know, got to watch Alshon Jeffries, who uh, I had a pick off of in, in that same season, playing for the Bears this, on Monday night, um, you know, watching old teammates uh, all the time. I mean, Dante's having a tremendous year. C.J. Mosley, obviously, is – really emerged as a star in the league. Courtney Upshaw continuing to do well. Julio leading the league, you know, in receiving and, and receptions this year so far. I mean, countless guys that I was able to be on the field with uh, playing on Sundays now. It's a, it's a real treat. My wife, uh, my wife, I don't think she likes Sundays very much. She, uh, she finds me sitting on the couch watching TV, watching the games pretty much from noon till night. But um, really fun watching those guys and certainly uh, awesome to support the old teammates and guys that are – uh, making a good living in the NFL. And, uh, you know, this past Saturday was another example of that. I mean, there's just a ton of talent out there. Every time Alabama touches the field, a ton of NFL talent. And then when we line up against a team like LSU uh, and, you know, other teams like Auburn 2010, um, you know, Florida for those streaky years, uh, there's just a bunch of guys uh, that, you know, you, you'll know you'll see on Sundays. And uh, I think we've got another one this weekend coming up when we face uh, Dak Prescott. I think he's as good a QB as there is in the nation. I think he's an unbelievable athlete himself. And uh, they've got a tall order uh, stopping him this weekend. And, Will, uh, before we break down the Mississippi State match, I wanted to ask you what I thought was the key sequence in the football game. Uh I, I I just can't say enough about what a huge kick that was for I mean for Adam Griffith's confidence and then for the team LSU had scored ten straight to tie the game he kicks the field goal before the end of the half to to put Alabama up thirteen to ten then first play on defense Dylan Lee who had I, I thought the best game of his career the pick in the flat he read the route he had read he had, it was a play they had run before he told me in the media room that he he jumped and he knew exactly what was coming. Poor throw uh, by Harris, but he intercepts the ball, and then Alabama immediately punches it in to go up by 10 yet again. Did you think that was the key sequence in the game? Absolutely. I don't think you can argue with it. You know, I thought uh, on the first point you make on Griffith's field goal, I mean, what a feel-good story for that kid. I mean, you know the guy's been trying as hard as he can all year. He's just struggled. You know, he's had a rough patch of form here. He's he's missed some. And, you know, it's it's especially tough, I think, after you have the success that he did, you know, doing as well as he did last year. And um, it's been a tough stretch for him. And, um, you know, as a kicker, it's just extremely difficult. I mean, 
it's just such a different aspect of, of the game of football from every other position and, and play to be a kicker. I mean, that's all that you do is, is to kick the ball a few times a game and you either succeed or you don't, you know, and, and it's extreme on, on both ends. So, unfortunately, he's been on the on the uh, bad side of that a lot this year. But, yeah, I mean, what a, what an awesome opportunity for him to step up, for the coach to, for Coach Saban to ask him if he could do it, not only for him to have the confidence to step up and say, yeah, coach, I can make that kick uh, from that distance that he's never made it from in his career in a game. And uh, for him to come out and do that, I mean, just unbelievable, awesome, great feeling for him. I think that really encapsulated the game. I mean, just, you know, firing on all cylinders, everything working for us, everything, uh, everything happening, everyone playing to their uh, highest potential. Um, So really, really happy for him. And uh, then, like you say, for Dylan Lee, I think one of the most underappreciated guys on the team, who came in, wasn't a huge recruit, uh, has, you know, uh, worked his butt off to get to where he is. He's, you know, maybe not the most talented guy on the roster, but he's played well enough and earned the respect of his of his coaches and his teammates to be on the field as much as he has this year and to be starting and, and playing a significant role. And, you know, he, he sets the edge out there at outside backer, which is a pretty thankless position 99% of the time. I mean, most people that don't understand football don't even notice that you're on the field. But it's such a key position because you've got to contain the runs. You've got to keep the gaps true for everyone else on the defense. And he's done a tremendous job of that this year. And not only setting the edge, but then on on top of that, somehow falling in and making the play like he did a few times this past Saturday and has throughout the course of the season um, is just incredible. And and, uh, making the pick like he did, I mean, I agree. Those those plays back-to-back are, you know, kind of uh, in in sequence there, um, you know, were huge plays in the game. And, and uh, really took the air out of LSU and, and um, you know, just, I mean, turnovers are huge. And uh, when you have a guy like Griffith step up and make a play like that, uh, you know, that he hasn't been able to make all year, it just, uh, it really fires you up as a team. I mean, it gives you huge momentum, just like the hits on kickoff. I mean, you know, it's, it's sometimes it's little stuff, sometimes it's big plays, but the effect that it has on your own team can be just as important as any play in the game. Well, I promise you we're going to get to breaking down straight here in a second with Drew's next question. But we have a question from you from our chat room. Uh, one of our people that are in our chat room on our website, com, wants to know that uh, based on what you know or what your opinion is and all the five years you spent working with him, do you think that Kirby Smart will leave after this season, Will? You know, it's just so tough to say uh, because there are so many factors that come into that decision. And to be honest with you, I think if you asked uh, Coach Smart right now if he was going to leave at the end of the year, obviously if it was on the radio or TV, it's a political answer. No, he has no idea. He's not thinking about it. Um, and in reality, he's probably trying not to think about it, but I don't think even he knows. You know, I mean, uh, he, he's stuck around for a long time as a defensive coordinator at a big program, which I think is smart. I mean, you, you look at guys, uh, I mean, you know, a guy that's compared to him on a regular basis, uh, Will Muschamp, you know, if you jump ship, too early to try and take uh, charge of a program and and lead them back to the top. It's a tall order, and uh, playing playing the position of head coach and being a an assistant coach or a coordinator is a completely different ball game. Uh, when when you're uh, a coordinator for offense or defense, um, you know you you are specifically a coach. You are teaching technique, you are strategizing, and you are coaching players. As a head coach, you're more of a manager. I, I would compare it more to a, a manager for a baseball club. I mean, there's so many 
aspects to a, a football program, especially the caliber of Alabama and the top Division One levels. I mean, you've got to have the right boosters. You've got to have the right facilities. You've got to have the right players already in the program. You've got to have the right recruiting pipeline. You've got to have the right recruiting class for the next immediate year. You've got to have the right supporting cast. You've got to have the, the right academic support cast to make sure that your players are staying eligible and going to class and doing the right things. I mean, there's just so many aspects to having it running a successful football program that it's uh, you know it's very risky to just take any Division One job that opens up and offers you a lot of money. I mean, uh, personally, I, I don't think that the South Carolina job is that great of a job. I mean, uh, Steve Spurrier is as good a coach as, as there's been in college football in a long time, and obviously he was able to have a few years of success there, but. Um, you know, there hasn't been a whole lot of in-state talent uh, recruiting coming out of there. And, you know, they haven't really had those top-end guys uh, like Clowney, you know, in a few years now. And you can see what that does. You know, you just don't – if you don't have the athletes in the program, then um, it's very hard to compete at the highest level, especially in the SEC week in and week out. So, you know, I think that Coach Smart's been very smart in biding his time, uh, staying in a very secure, very – great position which is defensive coordinator at Alabama um you know continuing to learn and and to gain that knowledge and wisdom from one of the best to ever do it and coach Saban and um you know continuing to learn more about what it takes to run a successful program so you know I I I can't say if he'll leave or not this year I don't I personally don't think he will I think if he was smart uh he would wait uh, for that Georgia job to open up because you know I, I as much as I respect Rick, I think he does lack that little bit to get them over the hump from, you know, 10 and 3 every year to 11 and 1, 12 and 0, 13 and 0 and uh competing for a national championship. You know, they're going to be good every year, but um, you know, they they haven't been great, you know, and um I think that, you know, the patience wears thin on Georgia fans all the time it seems like and um, you know, with with some of the strife that you're hearing with that coaching staff and and knowing coach Pruitt personally, it um you know, it just kind of makes me think differently of the whole situation, which is you know, it's a whole other conversation. But, anyways, I, I think that uh, Coach Smart uh, will probably not leave at the end of this year. But uh, my opinion means absolutely nothing because there's just so many factors that go into it. Coaching is a domino effect. It depends who gets fired, who stays, who gets hired, where, uh, what coaches are available. There's just so many factors that go into it. It's just impossible to predict at this point in the season if he'll leave or not. But uh, I hope he sticks around. I think he will. I think he'll wait for the a really good position. Um, so, you know, time will tell. And, Will, obviously now to switch gears and great stuff, of course, from someone that knows Coach Smart uh, so well. But uh, the, the, your thoughts on Mississippi State, you've already talked about Dak Prescott. I agree with you. I think he's one of the better quarterbacks best in the SEC and best of the better ones in the country. I think he's improved his decision-making this year. Obviously, I think they're a little bit different. They were more ground-oriented last year, this year, uh, due to the loss of Josh Robinson. And, of course, his maturation as a quarterback and the development of their wide receivers like Fred Ross and Deronia Wilson, they've become more of a passing team. And I think they're going to try to pass this to set up the run against Alabama. But your thoughts on how they match up against this Crimson Tide defense? Yeah, I mean, I, you know, obviously after this past weekend and through the course of the year and, and watching them play, I think our defense is as good as there is in college football. I think that they're up to the task of uh, competing with anybody on the football field in college, and um, I think they'll be up to the task this weekend, but I do think it's going to be a dogfight. I think it has the potential to turn into a gritty game. Um, you know, Mississippi State always plays us tough. Coach Saban 
and the staff really respects their program and, and their staff and the way that they play the game and approach the game and prepare, uh, there's no doubt that they're going to be ready to go. Um, so, you know, it's, it's always that kind of game with them, especially coming off of such a physical battle like LSU every year. And um, I, I agree with everything you said. I think that, uh, like we talked about, Prescott's one of the best players in college football. I think that uh, his ability to run and pass is, uh, is, is really special. Obviously, setting records this year uh, in, in, in the SEC in the history books. And, um, you know, he's, he's a tremendous competitor. I agree. I think he's become a better leader this year. I think he's become a better decision maker. And I think that's out of necessity, which, you know, I think he, he seems like a – I don't know him personally, but just from what I can see and, and what I, uh, you know, I can read and, and, and find out about him, he seems to be kind of that natural-born leader. And, um, you know, last year you, they, they had a lot more pieces on the team uh, he wasn't as relied as heavily on last year as he is this year. You know, he kind of could uh, maybe take some more chances or, or um, you know, kind of uh, play more, uh, more um, you know, at risk or, or just kind of not uh, feeling the entire burden of the whole team on his back like he has this year. Uh, they're just not as good of a football team this year as they were last year, but they're still a very good team. And uh, like you're talking about, he's got some real weapons on the outside with these wideouts. Jeronia Wilson's a great player. They've got a couple guys that can that know how to get open and can catch the football and, and have the athletic ability uh, to play with anybody in the SEC like they've showed this year. And um, you know, I, I think that the most interesting aspect of it is, um, you know, we we do our our defense. Our coaches do a really good job of teaching when we play dual threat quarterbacks. Um, you know, not rushing past the quarterback trying to get sacks, but pushing the pocket in their face, making them throw from the pocket, um, and, you know, not losing that contain. But Prescott does a, a really good job of extending plays, um, you know, making plays drag out, uh, evading the rush, um, you know, get, being able to stay loose and, and elusive enough to stay away from the rush and, and uh, throw the ball down the field. And I think that's uh, probably one of the areas that our, our DBs have shown um, the biggest um, the biggest weakness is uh, is in scramble drills. When the quarterbacks running around and and the receivers start to run improv routes, they break off from their scripted route and they start running back to the ball or running you know towards the end zone away or dragging back all the way across the field. And um, Prescott does a really good job of finding those guys. They do a really good job of getting open. And uh, it's going to be really tough on our guys. We're going to have to get some pressure up front, stay stay disciplined up front to keep him contained and keep him in front of us, uh, make him throw from the pocket, not let him leak out and, and uh, create. Um, and it's going to be uh, – I'm sure they're doing a lot of scramble drill in practice this weekend, Coach Saban with the DBs, you know, practicing on when he does break contain and those receivers just breaking off and, and, uh, and trying to get open. And you just got to stick to your man. I mean, it's, it's, uh, it all comes down to eye control and discipline. Um, so hopefully they work on that a lot this week and get ready for it. I think that'll be the biggest area that they could hurt us, though, because, you know, they're not LSU. They're not less miles. They're not just going to be stubborn and line up and run the ball 60 times right at us. I mean, we I think we proved last weekend that we can stop anybody in the nation uh, trying to run into the teeth of our defense uh, on Saturday. So um, they're not going to be that stubborn. They're going to they're gonna open it up a little bit. They're going to try and throw the ball down the field on us, which I think they should do. Um, and it's going to be a good football game. We're, we're going to have to uh, really be ready to play. Uh, can't have a letdown week. You're going to have to uh, produce on offense, move the chains like we did last week on third downs, uh, have our way up front on the offensive line, and, and uh, put some points up because it's, it's going to be a tough game. So, um, you know, another test. It's, it's no days off in the SEC. 
Well, final question for me. Uh, we can see in the media this week a uh, mutual respect society between Wilson and Cyrus Jones. Well, Wilson is 6'5", Cyrus is 5'10". If you're game planning for state and you're the defensive coordinator, do you put Cyrus on, on, on the 6'5 guy because he's more experienced, or do you put Marlon, who's closer to 6'1", on him because he's taller? How, how do you make that decision? You know, I uh, I don't think you I don't think you call that I don't I don't think you say hey Cyrus sorry man you're too short you can't guard this guy um, you know you you don't do that to a man's confidence especially somebody that has the ability to play I don't I don't think that the height difference will affect Cyrus I think Cyrus is a tremendous athlete I think he uses uh, his ability very well he uses the size that he does have his athleticism his strength very well. Uh, to stick with guys on the outside. And, you know, obviously with his size, you know, he, he may make a play or two. But at the end of the day, throughout the course of a ball game, I like Cyrus Jones' chances to stick with anybody out there. And, um, you know, I'm, I, I just would not say, hey, we need to get you on you, better match up. You know, don't don't like your odds there, Cyrus. I think he can play with him. I think he will. And, uh, you know, he's he's the kind of competitor. He'll rise to the challenge. You know, he'll, he knows that uh, – he, he knows how tall he is. He knows how tall – uh, the guys he's going against are, and he knows what guys like you and I are talking about on the radio about. So, you know, I think that's something that he'll take personally. He'll come into this game with a chip on his shoulder, uh, and he'll get physical with him, and he'll be ready to go. So, um, you know, I don't think you make that call. I think you uh, let him rise to the occasion. You let the DBs, um, you know, rise to the occasion across the board. And, uh, you know, this is their opportunity, kind of like last week for the front. Uh, they've got a real challenge on their hands. So this is their opportunity to step up and, and uh, kind of be in the spotlight. So, um, you know, we'll, we'll see what they got on Saturday. Well, Will, we really appreciate you taking about 30 minutes to join us uh, again uh, at 8.30 on BAMS Radio. And uh, I know our uh, audience really loved this and ate it up. And uh, you're, you're so articulate. You do such a great job of talking ball. And uh, I look forward to having you uh, on Talking Ball yet again. And we're just glad you also joined the BAMS Radio family. We really appreciate the time tonight. And, uh, have a great uh, rest of your evening and roll tide. Yeah, I enjoyed it, guys. Looking forward to doing it again. Roll tide. Will Lowry, everybody, former Hoover Buck and, and uh, defensive back, on, and played an integral part on two national championship teams. Just a uh, guy that you always uh, enjoyed watching play, got the most out of his talent, and we really appreciate him uh, joining us tonight. As I know, we're about to take our one break of the show. We are, but I wanted to ask you before we break, what's Will doing for a living now? Uh, he lived, he's, he's working in private business, living in Spanish Fort, Alabama. And as he said, just uh, recently uh, was married, is married to a very beautiful lady. And uh, just uh, he's enjoying life and uh, decided that he didn't want to go into the coaching profession, but uh, he's doing a great job and is still following the program very closely. Well, he's one of the best guests we've ever had. And I want, I want to thank you for getting him. He was great. And uh, you're right, we are about to take our one and only break of the night. Uh, we'll step away for a few moments, but you're listening to BAMS Radio, a member of the BAMS Sports Radio family. Johnny, be good. Never ever learn to read or write 
Welcome back to Vans Radio, a member of the Vanna Sports Radio family. Great first hour in the books with A.P. Stedham of uh, Scout.com and former Tyler and Hoover Buff, Will Lowry. That was, a, that was 60 minutes of really good stuff. And uh, I'm Terry Clark, your co-host from BattleMag.com, joined as always by Drew Armand of ESPN 977 Zone in Huntsville and Thomas Watts of Touchdown Alabama Magazine. And uh, we're going to give him time to get our next guest in queue. And while we do that, I will say a little bit more about signing day and bring in Drew, this being National Signing Day for basketball, baseball, softball, what have you. But Drew, two signatures are in, and uh, one more is still out there, which is Terrence Ferguson. We're told there's nothing to worry about, that it'll come sooner than later. But you seem to be hearing some uh, rumblings about uh, another possible member of this class, whether it be now or in April. Is Drew there? Is Thomas there? What, did did we lose connectivity? What's happened? Well, I asked Drew a question and he didn't respond. I'm not sure if uh, I didn't get I'm back. What was the question? Okay, sorry. I was talking about National Signing Day and how Avery got two letters from the tent in. Uh, Terrence Ferguson is expected any day. But uh, you uh, tweeted something pretty optimistic about another possible member of this class, whether it be now or in April. Well, I, you know, I don't know if it'll be in April. It might be. Marcus Bolden might wait until uh, that time. I mean, it's happened with some high profile players, but. I wouldn't be shocked. You know, there's this is just day one. There's a week uh, to go. Uh, obviously, uh, you know, any, any, uh, an official visit could happen any time. Uh, watch this weekend. I mean, there's no, they, they, you know, I know that the football team is on the road, but that doesn't mean anything. He would have the run of the campus. Uh, I just, I still think there's a chance that Marcus Bolden could sign early. But regardless, I think uh, as time has gone on and this process has evolved, I know he didn't come for the week of the Tennessee game with Terrence Ferguson, but I do think the more that uh, the, the days pass and he hasn't signed with Duke and hasn't signed with Kansas and, you know, hasn't, you know, signed with Kentucky, I do think that by the day it's becoming more and more optimistic that uh, he will sign with the University of Alabama. Well, his uh, future teammates – seem to agree with you based on social media. I, I certainly hope you're right. And uh, I'm also wondering, since he got an offer just a couple of days ago, where things stand with 6'10", Fernando Bruno out of Florida, if they would take both or if he's just to fall back to bowling. Well, I mean, we'll see. I mean, as the week uh, goes on, I mean, there's nothing to say they couldn't take two bigs. They only have four scholarships available. The transfers happen all the time. It's part of college basketball and and uh, I know Coach Avery Johnson has told people don't worry about transfers. So uh, it would probably mean that someone was going to leave. But, it, you know, they, I just think right now they're going to concentrate on Bolden. But we will see. We'll see if uh, yeah, because Bruno has not uh, visited either. We'll, we'll, let's just see what happens this weekend and, and let the week unfold. It should be fun. Uh should be a lot of fun. And uh, right now Scout has – Bama ranked 11th because of some uh, commitments that came in from other teams today. Some of them were unexpected. They were 10th. 
But they get bold, and they'll be top two, top three for sure. But, you know, one thing i got to say uh, about Mississippi State, since our next guest is probably already listening on hold, is working uh, that, that beat. Drew, uh, it can't enough be said about the job that Ben Howland has done on the recruiting trail. He is absolutely tearing it up. Well, yeah, he is, and it's not unexpected. Uh, he did that at, at UCLA. It was never about the talent there. He uh, he's always been able to recruit well and coach well. Uh, it's just UCLA is a tough job. If you don't win national championships, uh, they tend to want to get rid of you uh, because of the John Wooden era. You know, Jim Herrick has been the only one that's been able to get that done. And uh, but if you look at their history, uh, coaches usually don't last long there. It's just very very tough. But Mississippi State, I think that was in Scott Strickland. I think that was a brilliant hire getting Ben Howland. I've always admired uh, his uh, coaching style, and uh, I know they got a big commitment today from Kegler and uh, out-recruited some of the better uh, basketball institutions they uh, out there, uh, what's, what are considered basketball schools. And I think it's obvious that the SEC is on its way back up in basketball. And uh, speaking of Mississippi State, I know he's now on the uh, the uh, our, our phone line waiting to talk to us here on BAMS Radio. And he's been a guest on my show a couple of times on uh, 97.7 The Zone Talking Ball now is going to join the BAMS radio family. And uh, he covers Mississippi State and all athletics uh, very well uh, now for the commercial dispatch. But that is Ben Waite. Ben, how are you doing? I'm good. Thanks for having me on. No problem, man. And I know it's been a busy day for you. Of course, you're continuing to cover the football beat. Huge game Saturday in Starkville against Alabama, 2.30 on CBS, 7-2 Mississippi State playing their best football of the season, but also basketball signing day started today. And uh, Ben Howland, much like Avery Johnson, has not coached a game really yet officially in Starkville, but he's already uh, showing a huge impact. Yeah, he made a splash. You know, you talked about Kegler. That, that was a big, big pickup for Mississippi State. I, I've heard a lot of good things. I haven't seen him play yet. But, but obviously he's a four-star, five-star, whatever whatever recruiting website, whatever recruiting uh, thing you look at, he, he's very high up there. So he's definitely a game changer. Then they, they got the kid Eli Wright who committed earlier to Mississippi State. Uh, he signed today. And then Tyson Carter, a local kid, Starkville High kid. I've uh, seen him play several times. Uh, can shoot the lights out. So, yeah, he Ben has done a really good job. Job It's phenomenal that he's coming here. He's just recruited the heck out of, out of this place. And, and obviously the first one you have to talk about is Malik Newman. He – he he got Malik Newman to sign with Mississippi State, uh, I believe, in, in April or so. Uh, big pickup for for them. He's expected to be a one and done player. Uh, a, lot, a lot expected from Malik this year. But yeah, you it, it'll be hard to argue with, with what uh, Ben has done when you look across uh, other nation that he's probably not one of the one of the better guys so far uh, at his at his new home. Hey Ben, this is Kerry Clark at BamaMag.com. Uh, I was interested to hear that, that introduction that Drew made because uh, from 2000 to about 2008, I was never full-time, but I was the Alabama stringer for the commercial dispatch back in the Henry Matuzak, Dan T. Smith era. And uh, so it's good to talk to a, a fellow dispatch guy. Even though I was part-time, I still wrote a lot of Alabama articles for him over those seven or eight years. Uh, but I wanted to ask you um, regarding the football game coming up Saturday, uh, Mississippi State, it's kind of being regarded by Alabama fans and media, maybe not the players, but fans and media, as a trap game, a game where Alabama's coming off an emotional victory 
State's had two weeks to rest up. State's got the best quarterback in the conference, if not the country. Uh, how, how do you perceive this game shaping up? It, it certainly doesn't seem like it'll be a blowout, a blowout either way, but do you feel like it's going to be another typical four-quarter knockdown, dragout Alabama State battle? Yeah, I definitely do. I think it's definitely going to come down to the fourth quarter. And you mentioned that maybe a little, a uh, little bit of hangover for Alabama after getting the emotional win against LSU and obviously State. They played last Thursday. Had a couple extra days to, to get ready for Alabama. They actually took a weekend off. Uh, they didn't practice Sunday, I believe, but they, they didn't really, they didn't use a Friday or Saturday at all to get ready for Alabama. Dan actually let them let them have have the weekend off. So it basically the same thing. Just a couple more days of rest, though. Uh, but yeah, there, there's no doubt that I, I think that it's going to be one of these games where, like you said, it's not going to be a blowout either way. I don't. I mean, you look at it, and this team has the advantage in this, and this team has the advantage in that. I think it's definitely going to come down to the fourth quarter, which is very interesting because Mississippi State's defense has yet to allow a touchdown in the fourth quarter, and they're only allowing 12 points. And I was looking at it, and Alabama scored about 76 points in the fourth quarter. So uh, that final quarter could be a doozy. Depending on where the game is entering that, uh, more than likely it will be tied or it'll be a really close game. So, so that fourth quarter is going to be very huge. And it's one of those games where can Mississippi State's defense just kind of hold up because – they're going to try to try to wear them down with Derrick Henry, kind of what they've done all season. And Mississippi State just kind of stand up to it and just continue to take the beating and and be sharp as they as they are when they were in the first quarter in that fourth quarter. And Ben, this I've been interested to see the way this Mississippi State team has evolved. Obviously, Dak, we all believe, is the best quarterback in the SEC. I want to apologize first of all to Dak uh, before. Uh, we go any further because I know what a great year he had last year, but I bought, I drank the Kyle Allen Kool-Aid and I voted him preseason all SEC. And uh, I thought that uh, I still thought a lot of Prescott, but I thought he would have his breakout year and would win more games in Mississippi state. And yet again, Mississippi state has surprised everyone and should have not been picked uh, seventh, obviously in the SEC West or seven and two and rolling along. But, just kind of talk about what you've seen, how you, what kind of improvements you've seen out of Dak, and that's saying a lot considering uh, he was a Heisman candidate all last season, and this, and just kind of in, what, in, the, in the way the teams evolved because they were, I thought, more run centric last year, and uh, definitely have, uh, I think, uh, the more would be considered more of a, a team that's going to throw to set up the run now. Yeah, the Dak has has definitely improved, especially his passing. Uh, he, he's he's no he's by no means a polished passer at this point, but he's getting better. And one of the things that that Dan wanted Dak to really work on was just going through his progressions, not trying to break out of the pocket before he looks at every different receiver and make sure that that he's not passing up a wide open guy. So Dak has really worked hard on that. He's gone through progressions. He, he's been able to find the, the wide open guy. He's been able to to stare down the find the number three guy, the number four guy when he goes through his progressions. And that's kind of affected his running game this year. When you look at his, his rushing numbers are not as good. I don't have it in front of me, but I think he, he's rushed for 300 and something yards, I believe, this season. Still has seven touchdowns on the ground. But but it's been more about the passing. And you're right. State has has relied on the passing. Because when you look at the running game, they haven't been very good. Back is the leading rusher. And then after that, you've got about four running backs. And, and they combined for about right at 800 yards. Obviously, last year, had Josh Robinson who rushed for over a thousand yards and he, he and he and Dak were a good duo. They kinda of took a little bit of pressure off each other. But that really hasn't been the case this year. Uh 
you know, they've tried to shuffle the running backs in there and try to find somebody who will step up. And it, it just hasn't been anybody's – nobody has kind of has, has taken the job and said, hey, this this is my job, I'm going to be the running back. And, you know, with a quarterback like Dak, you don't really need a, a running game, and it, and it hasn't hurt them yet. Uh, maybe, I guess, against Texas A&M was the only really game where you could say, well, they didn't really have a running game and they needed it, and they lost that one. But outside of that, it hasn't hurt them. They haven't needed it because Dak has just been so good. Uh, so I, I think that, that Dak has, has understood that it, he he has to be better and he has to has to be a better passer. Uh, but, you know, Dan said this numerous times, Dak is not making the spectacular play. He's making the unspectacular play. He's going through his progressions. He's finding that guy in the – in the in the flat and and they're they're picking up you know that's turning into a 15 yard uh, score or a 15 yard pickup for a first down uh, and there's nothing really Dak's doing he's just kind of checking down to to, to the running back in the flat so uh, for Dak he's definitely gotten better and then as for the team you know uh, I, I think that they they have improved you know from last year I think they they were real talented last year and, and they kind of got went to Tuscaloosa and it kind of caught them you know by surprise and Alabama kind of raced out to the early lead, and State was kind of coming back and down the stretch, and many had talked if there was more time, maybe State wins that game. I don't, I don't know. I don't know if you can really think about things like that, but but I think that team, you know, they're totally different this year, and they've kind of had to, you know, they've kind of had to progress and learn learn new uh, learn new um, lessons this year that they they didn't last year. But I think there's no doubt that this team from from day one to now is totally different. Man, I need to ask you about a player that. I don't even think he's playing this year. I think he's registering. But have any idea how heartbroken Drew and I both were when Alabama never made a run, a real run, on Keith Mixon ended up going to state? Uh, what have you heard about him since he's gotten on campus, and is he redshirting this year? Yeah, he is redshirting. To be honest, I haven't heard a whole lot about him. Uh, you know, it, it, it's one of those things where, where a guy gets redshirted. And you just don't talk about him a whole lot, especially in the season, because there's other players that that are stepping up and making plays, and other players that are the focus. Uh, but yeah, I think you know when we come next spring, I think he's going to be talked about a lot. I know obviously in the fall he's going to be talked about a lot, and then there's going to be a lot of people that are going to want to see him. You know, he's one of these guys. Can he can he help in the running game next year? And I think there's no doubt that you know wherever they try to use him, you know, running back, wide receiver, whatever. I think he. Uh, he has a chance to to be one of those guys that you know Dan Bowen likes to get in those guys that can that can play both positions, kind of a hybrid guy that can do a lot of different things. So uh, I think that he definitely has a lot of you know big upside. I think I you know I've never really seen him play, so I really can't say kind of stake it, kind of list him as a wide receiver on the uh, on the roster. But I think he's one of those guys, kind of like a Malik Deer, who's a freshman who's actually playing this year. They they kind of use him as a running back slash. Uh, wide receiver, so I think he's definitely one of those kind of guys. And Ben, uh, I agree. I think Keith Mixon's got a chance to help Mississippi State, as is another guy that I believe is redshirting, Maurice Smitherman uh, from Minor High School. I think he can develop into another good corner uh, for Mississippi State. But speaking of corners, obviously the injury to Will Redmond uh, was big. He was having a great final year at Starkville in this defense. Uh, they lose uh, a coordinator. Uh, and Jeffrey and Jeffrey Collins, who uh, goes uh, to uh, the Florida Gators, uh, and, and I know that uh, that was tough. And he had done a great job, Jeff Collins, of building a, a, a solid defense at Mississippi State, playing so many guys. But you get Manny Diaz back; he's familiar. Who had worked a year with Dan Mullen, 
Uh, so it seems to be a pretty good transition. Just kind of talk about how this Mississippi State defense has played, and, and I think they've got two really fine linebackers. I really like Richie Brown and, of course, a guy that uh, we're all familiar with here in Alabama, Benique West Brown from Florence. Yeah, there's no doubt. I think this defense is probably better than it was last year. They had a lot of talent on that thing last year. So, you know, when you talk about a Preston Smith and a Bernardus McKinney, both guys who were drafted real high in the NFL draft, this team right here, you know, they don't have really that one standout player. I guess if there was a guy that you would say kind of was the, is the standout player, that's Chris Jones, just because he, he has a lot of upside to him. And to be honest, he really hasn't played as good as he can this year. He, he did win as he did for Lyman. Lyman of the week last week uh, against Missouri and had his best game of his career from what many are, are saying about it. Uh, but, yeah, this defense is just kind of scrappy, just kind of like Manny Diaz is. Uh, you know, he, he comes in there and not a very big guy if you've ever seen Manny Diaz in person. Uh, but but he knows how to coach his defense and he, and he knows knows what's going on. And, you look at the numbers, they are one of the tops in the, in the SEC and one of the tops in the country, as I mentioned before. Uh, still have yet to give up a touchdown in the fourth quarter. That's almost mind-blowing when, when you think about it, especially with some of the teams that they they have played and the fact that they you know don't even give up even when they're up big against Missouri. Missouri was driving late in the game. The game was already in hand. Uh, and Missouri was looking to score a touchdown, and Kevon Coleman safety made a big play to kind of break up a pass on fourth down to, to keep that streak alive. So, uh, yeah, they're, they're really incredible. You talk about Richie Brown and Nicholas Brown, uh, uh, two two linebackers. They've just been phenomenal, especially Richie. First year as a as a starter at middle linebacker, taking over uh, for Renard McKinney, and he leads the team in tackles. I think he's got like seventy something. Uh, just been really impressive. And you know, the secondary was kind of the biggest question coming in on that defensive side of the ball. They did have Will Redman and and uh, Tavares Calhoun, two corners who. Who were, who were seniors this year, and they had a lot of experience. And then the Kendrick Market, who was a senior safety, but both uh, Market and Redmond uh, uh, tore their ACLs, and they're they're out for the season. So, so that that inexperience, you know, uh, uh, secondary just got more inexperienced with those two guys out. They've had some guys like a Brandon Bryan, redshirt freshman, who who's been really good this year. He stepped up and played well. And then true freshman Mark Lamar and Jamal Peters at, at safety, they played really well. So. So this defense, they, they kind of start slow, and that's kind of how it was in early in the season. They didn't have their best of games, and, and they kind of start games very slow because I think they've given up about 80 points in the first quarter. But, but man, after that first quarter, they really settle in and play nicely. So uh, Manny really has them going in the right direction. And and from day one, they really have got better. It's one of the, the – when you look at this team, who has improved the most, it's definitely, definitely that defense that's improved since game one. Well, the offense is uh, bottled in. And another guy that I got a chance to see play on, on Friday night uh, and was disappointed uh, three years ago when I didn't take him, and now he is one of the best receivers in the SEC. Talking about Runye Wilson, uh, he's even been projected as a third-round draft pick if he leaves this year. Just talk a little bit about the way that you've watched him mature from the time he got there until now being one of the top receivers in the league. Yeah, Durant is obviously a guy who, who's got a lot of talent, and he obviously relied on that talent in high school. And he kind of relied on that talent, uh, uh, you know, his freshman year, and even to an, to an extent last year. Uh, but they kind of, you know, really kind of sat him down and said, you know, you're talented and you can you can go far, but there's other things you have to do besides catching the football. Uh, and I think he's really worked on that. Obviously, everybody knows that he can go out there and has really great hands to make the big play when Mississippi State needs it the most. But it's been the little things that I think that they that he has really worked on. Uh, 
for example, his blocking. He's, he's one of the best blocking wide receivers I've ever seen. And there's been numerous times, if you watch a Mississippi State game, just watch a highlight where, where maybe Fred Ross, uh, the guy on the other side of him, wide receiver, is running down the field looking to score a touchdown or looking to make a big play. And, and Deronia Wilson's down there blocking the cornerback in a safety, uh, giving him giving him the lane. Or when Dak Prescott tucks and runs, you see the run you're right there beside him, you know, knocking down a linebacker to to get him into the open space. So I think from that standpoint, he's really improved. He's really matured. He's understand that it's not all about it's not all about pass catching. I have to do other things. I have to I have to be a better player. I have to I have to help my offense in any way I can. I think he's really understood that. He's done a really good job. Uh, and another thing is, you know, teams are starting to double team Duran. Yeah, they're putting a, a bracket around him, and that, that's kind of led to Fred Ross being open. And, and Fred, when you look at it numbers-wise, he has more catches than Duranya, and, and, and one, maybe, maybe even a better year when you look at it on paper. But they say that Duranya's really understood that, uh, that, that that's going to happen, and, and he's taking it in stride. And when his number is called, especially against Missouri last week, he had about Three or four catches, I believe, but but each one were uh, three of them four. It was three, it was four. Two two of them were touchdowns, and the other was a big play that set up another touchdown. So so when they need him, when they need him to step up, he understands that, and, and he makes a big play. So yeah, there, there's no doubt that Darunia has has progressed so much since his freshman season. And Ben, uh, t- talk about. Uh, the special teams from Mississippi State, obviously, they've been pretty solid in the kicking game. Holloway had the uh, kickoff return early in the season and has averaged 29 yards per kickoff return, uh, and he's solid. Uh, obviously, uh, place kicking and punting has been consistent. Alabama has improved a ton uh, since early in the year, so it's going to be interesting. I think really this game's going to come down to which uh, quarterback takes care of the football uh, because Jake Coker is not a pretty guy, but uh, he's played very well on the road. And when he hasn't turned the football over, uh, it's been very tough. I, in my opinion, it's going to be tough for anyone to beat this Alabama team as good as they, as they are on defense. But Dak Prescott gives them a puncher's chance. Yeah, uh, you talked about the special teams there at the beginning of the question. Uh, yeah, no doubt Mississippi State has been really solid. You, you mentioned the, the kickoff for, return for a touchdown for Brandon Holloway, and then Fred uh, Ross had a punt return. Per touchdown, but then Weston Grace, place kicker, he's been really solid. He's only missed one field goal this season, and and that was something you know you you look at you look in in Dan Mellon's senior here at Mississippi State, and, and and field goal kicking has really been a has not been very good for them. Special teams overall has not been very good, but the field goal kicking has not been very good uh, for Mississippi State while Dan Mellon's here. Uh, but they found a guy in Weston Grace, sophomore this year, he only kicked uh, one field goal last year. And he missed, and uh, but this year he's he's been pretty solid. Uh, and when you're nine of ten or ten of eleven, whatever he is, uh, you know they haven't asked him to go out there and kick the you know the long fifty yard field goal. Uh, but when they've asked him to kick a field goal, you know, especially in the Auburn game, they I believe he kicked uh, one field goal. It was big because they kind of needed it because I believe the game was like fourteen to six at that time. I think that's what the score was. Uh, so it made it about seventeen to six. You know that kind of gives you. Uh, you know, makes it a two-possession game. That's kind of big. So, he kind of stepped up in that situation. Uh, but, yeah, the, the, the holding on to the football, you know, Dak's only thrown one interception this year. Uh, really really incredible with how many times he's thrown, right? he's thrown over, thrown the ball more than 300 times and only and only has only thrown one interception. Uh, Mississippi State's done a really good job of, of just holding on to the football in general. 
uh, and giving their offenses some chances. So, yeah, I talked about the fourth quarter. Obviously, it's going to come down to the fourth quarter and who can ever hold on to the ball the longest. But then again, you know, if Jake Coker, that Prescott, can drive their team down there uh, within field goal range, it can definitely come down to special teams. Ben, I wanted to ask you a question not related to football. Uh, I kind of envy you in a way. Uh, and and let, first, let me preface this question by saying I'm old enough that I was doing radio in Tuscaloosa when John Cohen was playing for Tuscaloosa Academy. That's how old I am. But you have the opportunity to cover an elite baseball program, uh, something we haven't known since Jim Wells left the first time. But we had it for a while, but we didn't sustain it. You guys, or our state, has been able to sustain it. Tell us, first of all, what it's like for you as a journalist to be able to cover a program like that, and then, secondly, uh, how it is working with John Cohen. Yeah, well, I, I'm actually a really big baseball fan, one of my favorite sports, one of my favorite sports to cover. Uh, well, obviously, when you get to cover for a, a team like Mississippi State who's been historically good, and, and I was on the beat when they went to the, the 2013 College World Series, and that was a fun ride. They, they went all the way to the, the championship series and ended up uh, losing – uh, being swept by UCLA, uh, that was fun just to watch that team and all the players they had on it that are now, you know, were drafted and taken, uh, and then they'll be drafted and just see that ride for a team that, you know, they didn't, they, I think, finished, you know, fifth, I believe, in the SEC that season ended up, uh, uh, finishing second in the nation. Uh, so yeah, it, it, it's been fun covering a team like that. You know, last year it wasn't a very good team. I believe they went 24 and 30. Uh, down year from Mississippi State, uh, didn't have you know had some people injured, just didn't have the the pieces that that they needed, and you know bring in this recruiting class this year and and bring back some guys from last year who who played better down the stretch. It looks like Mississippi State's gonna kind of turn around this year. But yeah, to, to cover a uh, a program like Mississippi State where baseball means everything. I mean, you, you know, there's uh, you know football's big in the South and it's big at Mississippi State, but you know when it turns to when it turns to baseball season, a lot of fans start paying attention and. You know, I, I pick up several new Twitter followers during baseball season because, right, because they obviously all want to know what's going on there. And, and for John Cohen, you know, he, he's done a, a fantastic job here. You know, he, you know, taking over for for the legendary uh, Ron Polk, who, who he played for, uh, well, was not an easy thing. And he came into a program that was kind of on the decline. You know, last few years in the Polk weren't very good. Uh, and, and he took his lumps those first couple of years and he kind of turned them around. I believe 2011. Uh, they went to the Super Regional, lost to uh, to Florida, and probably they were about eight outs away from going to Omaha that season. So, yeah, John's done a really uh, fantastic job. And, you know, you, you can tell by when talking to him that, that he cares about baseball, he cares about this program, he cares about Mississippi State, uh, and he cares about his players. And it's just good to see when, when you cover a baseball team uh, that, that is so passionate, a fan base that is so passionate about ball, uh, it is really neat to see, especially, you know, when it gets into May and, you know, there's the last few SEC series and you've got the SEC tournament and you've got a regional, super regional, and the possibility of a college world series. It's really neat to, neat to see. You know, you can go anywhere almost in the SEC now, and, and baseball is a really big deal just because there's a lot of athletes in the South that play baseball. A lot of them stay home. And, Ben, I wanted to continue on the baseball narrative because the timing was so strange, and of course it's the school on the other side of the state from us. But any concerns from John Cohen on the on losing Butch Thompson? I know he meant a lot to the program, did a great job as a pitching coach, and now we'll be moving on to Auburn. Uh, 
I, you know, I have not been uh, following the uh, process since he left. Has, has John Cohen named a replacement? Yeah, he has. He named Wes Johnson, a new pitching coach. He was at Dallas Baptist the last uh, three or four years, I believe. Uh, a guy who, who who had a lot of success at DBU, I think, uh, uh, during his time there, he had about 21 or 22 uh, uh, pitchers drafted, uh, taken in the MLB draft. So, so the guy that's got a, got a really good track record. So, yeah, I think that John feels really good about Wes Johnson. Uh, you know, is a guy that, that, that likes to see his guys play really hard. So I think you're going to see kind of a velocity jump from a, uh, the MSU pitching staff this year. I think that's one of the things he really hammers on. But, yeah, for Butch, it, it, it was it was almost a no-brainer when, when, uh, when, when us on the Mississippi State beat heard that, that Sonny Galloway was out at Auburn. We, I think all of us kind of had the feeling that, oh, we're going to have to write a story about Butch Thompson going to Auburn and somebody replacing Butch because it, it, his name had been out there a couple times for, for jobs before, and I think they're even interviewed for the job when, when Sonny got it. Uh, but, yeah, it was a great pickup by Auburn, and John Cody said that. He said, you know, I, if Auburn doesn't hire Butch Thompson, they, they will be the dumbest people in the world. But if they don't, I will be the happiest person in the world because I keep Butch Thompson. Uh, you know, Butch was there with, with John when he took over in 2009 and, and obviously had a track record when you look at the, uh, the last seven years at Mississippi State pitching-wise. Uh, they've had some, some impressive people come through this uh program, and, he, and and Butch has done a really good job. So, uh, I, I think John was upset to see him go, but he knew that, that Butch couldn't pass up on the opportunity to become a head coach, and, and I think John feels really good about West Johnson. Well, and my final question for you is I know uh, you've followed this uh, baseball beat closely, and you get a chance to travel around to some of the other parks to cover Mississippi State. Uh, how uh, are you looking forward to seeing Alabama's new park? I know uh, all of us of uh, the Bama Nation have thought it was a uh, ten years in the in the making. We thought it was really should have been it should have happened about a decade ago, but so happy that it finally has. And the administration's committed to the sport and can't wait to see the new digs. And uh, just, I know you probably I've seen Mississippi State's definitely upgrading without a doubt. And uh, are you uh, anxious to see Alabama's new park? Oh yeah, there's no doubt about it. I was actually at the, the last game there. I believe it was two years ago. Mississippi State and Alabama played that. Uh, series that, that season uh, at, the, at the old stadium, and I was there, you know, and, and I, I believe they let people onto the field afterwards, and people were taking pictures and whatnot because they were they were obviously about to, you know, tear down or, or begin the the remodel and everything. So I was there when last game played. So yeah, I'm looking forward to it. I mean, I, I've been to been to a lot of a lot of the SEC baseball pro, uh, facilities. I've been to Vanderbilt. I've been to Athens. Uh, I've never been to Auburn. I've heard good things about that down there, but yeah. Yeah, definitely looking forward to what Alabama has. I've been, the, been to the new Alex Fox. Uh, obviously, I've been to uh, to uh, so Oxford, whatever it is at Oxford. I can't even recall what it is right now. A nice facility up there. And obviously, I, I'm at Duty Noble a lot in spring. And obviously, Mississippi State has, has announced plans to upgrade Duty Noble. We don't really have a, a timetable for when that's going to happen. They're hoping in the next uh, you know two to three seasons they'll, they'll have Duty Noble upgraded. So, yeah, hey, when you look around uh, – you know, SEC teams are kind of upgrading their baseball facilities, and you kind of have to. Uh, a lot of money is being poured into baseball. And, and if you're going to win on the recruiting trail, you know, facilities is a big thing. And, you know, for Alabama to upgrade, that, that's really big and will definitely help them win a couple of recruiting battles. And, Ben, I'll close with one final football question. Um, I know it's a few weeks away yet, but uh, the Egg Bowl is in start for this year. 
Ole Miss started out like a house of fire, and then their season kind of fizzled. They lost one of the craziest games I've ever seen this past week. Whereas Mississippi State is, is kind of picking up momentum as the season is going on. Uh, how do you see this year's Egg Bowl shaping up at part one and part two? What's it like in general to cover the Egg Bowl? Yeah, no, there's no doubt that, you know, the, the Egg Bowl is, is definitely a collision course for both teams, kind of like the Iron Bowl, obviously not as much notoriety as the Iron Bowl. But, but, for, fans, but for people in the, in the state of Mississippi, it's obviously a big thing because it's the, the two biggest programs in the state going after it. And, you know, even if you're a Southern Miss fan or a, or a Jackson State fan or an Alcor State fan or, you know, or, or for one of the other smaller schools in the state, you know, you, you almost pick side in the Egg Bowl because – because it is that big, uh, you know. This year, when you look at it, uh, it, it can go either way. Uh, you talk about state kind of finding themselves; they've they've won four straight. But when you look at the teams that they've beaten, you know, the competition hasn't been very good. Uh, you know, we'll, we'll find out a lot about Mississippi State this weekend. Game at home—that's always a big thing. It's been a big thing in, in the series for a long time, I believe. State is the last team to win on the road, and that was in 2011 or 2010. I can't recall. Uh, they actually won an option, lasting to win on the road in the series. Big uh, at home, you know, when you look at it now, I think you have to give Michigan State the, the edge. You know, Dak is playing really well. And this kind of trying to find himself after, you know, a couple of heartbreaking losses to, to, to Memphis and, and Arkansas. Uh, so I, I, I think it, it could shake out either way, to be honest. We'll, we'll kind of have to see where each team is after, you know, you know Ole Miss has this week off and plays it. Plays LSU next uh, next weekend, the week before the Egg Bowl, and, and State has to go to Arkansas next weekend. Which is, which you know this, this is a big week right here, but next week in Arkansas is going to be maybe even bigger depending on what happens here. And Fayetteville's a tough place to play, so uh, I think at this point in time you have to give uh, State the upper hand. And, and yeah, just just for the Egg Bowl itself, it's you know I I grew up in Mississippi, uh, grew up a Mississippi State fan, went to Mississippi State, so I, so I know all about it. Uh, and, and it's one of those things where, you know, I, and I grew up close to Oxford, so when you go up close to, to where Ole Miss is, you know, you hear a lot about, you know, Ole Miss and, and being a state fan and, and kind of in enemy territory. Uh, you know, you, you when you beat Ole Miss, it, it, it's really sweet, and, and you just feel some vindication. So uh, it's just one of those things, just point of pride, basically. Just don't like almost every rivalry is. It's just all about, you know, who, Who's, who's going to have the bragging rights for the next 365 days? Well, Ben, we really appreciate you taking the time to join BAM's radio tonight. I know it's your first time uh, joining us here on the podcast. I really enjoyed having you on, Bam, on uh, BAM's radio tonight and, of course, on my show, Talking Ball. We really appreciate the time on this busy week for you covering uh, the entirety of uh, Mississippi State Athletics because we've, we've talked baseball and they're also signing players this week as well. So we know you've been very busy. We appreciate the time and have a great rest of your evening, and uh, and uh, obviously uh, I, I'm sure uh, it'll be a great football game in Starkville this weekend. Yeah, thanks for having me on, guys. Yeah, absolutely. That's Ben White covers the Mississippi State Bulldogs at the Commercial Dispatch. Does such a great job, and uh, we were glad to have him on Bam's radio tonight. Uh, Kerry, uh, he he knows the Bulldogs inside and out. Yeah, I can tell. Uh, is he related to the quarterback that played the state in the last time he played? Yeah, I. I don't think so. Still, he was a, he was a great guest, and uh, I've never gotten to go to an egg bowl in person. I've always thought that would be something cool to do uh, if they have it on a day different than uh, out in Alabama. It's always the same weekend. They usually have it on 
uh, sometimes they have it on different day. I, I think I'll do something fun to do sometimes. So you don't really have a, a well, I take that back. Hugh Freeze has, has made me more of a state fan in the Egg Bowl. <laughs> and I'm hoping state wins it this year, I'm not going to lie. Uh, but I wanted to uh, to give Thomas a chance to, to give his thoughts on uh, the upcoming game in Starkville with Mississippi State. Uh, we talked about the possibility of being a trap game. But, Thomas, from strictly a personnel and, and scheme standpoint, uh, how, how do you see Saturday shaking out? Well, uh, okay, let's, let's talk about the offense first. Um, I, Drew was absolutely right when he said Mississippi State is much more comfortable passing the ball 45 times than they are running it. They just they don't have the horses for whatever reason. Uh, Dak Prescott is Mississippi State's leading rusher, and then it's not really close. So it's going to be a situation where how does Alabama adjust to it? I think it's going to be – type of game where someone like a Tim Williams could come out and just play more snaps than normal and have a monster game because I know you, I know you want to contain Dak because he is a fantastic athlete, but you can't pass if you got a guy in your face two seconds after the snap, you know, Dak's great, but not even Tom Brady or Aaron Rodgers can pull that off. So I want to see how the defense handles that. In terms of how Mississippi State's going to move the ball, I don't think it's going to be very consistent, quite honestly. Like, if you remember, Mississippi State for three and a half quarters was absolutely wrecked by the LSU Tigers. And then they got hot at the very end of the game, and they almost won it to their credit. But I just I have a hard time seeing Mississippi State consistently working, working down the field on this defense, on the Alabama defense, excuse me. In terms of how the Mississippi State defense works against the Alabama offense, Mississippi State is a 4-3 base, and they, they've, they're, they're a defense. The way I would categorize them is they feast on you when they get you off schedule. They're very good at tackles for loss and very good at sacks. But the thing is, they're not – the defense hasn't been consistent in terms of something like stopping the run, a stat that blew my mind. Missouri's offense, which some high schools have better offenses than Missouri's this year, ran for 215 yards on the Bulldogs. I mean, it doesn't – it's hard – I, in a lot of ways, I feel like I can't pin this team down because I certainly see the trap game – argument and I've been one of the folks that said on other radio programs and my other podcast Too Deep Zone that this feels like a trap game and you know, Mississippi State's won their last four yada 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 but then you look at their schedule and you realize that Mississippi State's best wins were Auburn and Louisiana Tech I mean that legitimately that's the two teams of their seven wins that have been the best, their losses to Texas A&M and LSU. So I I wonder what the committee sees to make them the number 17 ranked team in the country. And I I can't, I can't get by the fact that Alabama is so much more talented than Mississippi state. I do not agree that the Mississippi state defense is as good as last year's defense. That's, and that, that bears out through statistics. There's at least a, there's at least one standard deviation in some cases, multiple standard deviations between the 2014 Mississippi state defense and the 2015 Mississippi state defense. It's, uh, I, I just don't agree, but 
I think Alabama is going to win the game. Like, I, I'm sorry. I think at the end of the day, Alabama's Jimmys and Joes are going to pull it out. I know that Stark, Starkville is crazy. I've been in that stadium. I absolutely cannot stand that stadium. I refuse to go back. But I, I just I think Alabama is going to win. I, I don't. I think it's that simple. Like Mississippi State's not going to find success on offense. And Alabama's defense, Mississippi State has not seen a front seven like what Alabama's going to hit them with. Yes, LSU has a very talented defense from top to bottom. But, I mean, you you literally just saw the defensive comparisons trying to do the same thing, and it wasn't even a contest. So, I just, again, I think Alabama wins the game. I've got Alabama winning 31-20. I could certainly see something like 31-10. But it's going to be fits and spurts for Mississippi State at best against this tied team. I'm going to go 27 to 17. I've been debating about it for days, and that's what I've settled on. But I do feel like it'll be a two-score game. Uh, Drew, how do you see it shaking out? I see Alabama 28, uh, Mississippi State 17. I think they're going to handle the Bulldogs. I actually hope it's motivating the team that everyone's claiming there's going to be a, a letdown and they cannot possibly be refocused for Mississippi State and uh, Dak Prescott is going to ambush them and yada, 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 yada. Yeah, I mean, if this defense is as special as I think it is and this team is improving in all three phases, they are better than Mississippi State on offense. They are better than Mississippi State on defense. They are better than Mississippi State in special teams. They have better coaches than Mississippi State, better facilities than Mississippi State, better history than Mississippi State. They're going to beat the hell out of Mississippi State. Well, we just, you know, pull pin on Drew, launch grenade, as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> no, I don't disagree with any of that. I, here's what worries me about it. I, I think what worries me about the game, and I agree with both of y'all, I think Alabama's going to win, don't get me wrong. What worries me about it is if Alabama gets past this game, I think the path is so clear to the fourth. Not just for the fact that they moved it to number two this week, which was great, made a lot of people eat crow off last week. But the state game just scares me because it, it, it seems to me to be the final huge hurdle. And, and by that, I mean, I know Alabama's going to beat Auburn, and I'm 99.9% sure Alabama's going to beat Florida if they get to Atlanta. I just I just see this as that final stumbling block. And even though it's not a gigantic stumbling block, it is a stumbling block. I'm just I'm confident and I'm trusting that, that the leaders on this team, like Reggie Ragland, but he's not the only one, the guys like him are going to make sure that the players approach this game as the as I said earlier, Coach Saban says they want to go one and every week. This is a huge one and because I think this one and zero can lead to about another three and zero. Yeah, after embrace the grind, because the bottom line is there's still hurdles. They've got three more hurdles. Charleston Southern's a scrimmage, but it's a scrimmage you need to get through healthy, and then you have to go to Auburn. Will likely beat Georgia. They found some thump in the running game on Robinson. Uh, you know Auburn showed today on ninety-seven-seven the zone and. They, the, the 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 consensus is I heard Pat Dye say it that you know Auburn does things that's going to give Alabama a lot of trouble. Well, let's see if they do, and it's still Auburn, and you still got to want to beat Auburn because Auburn would like nothing better than to ruin Alabama's season. So we know the the dog fights. Uh, 
that, that they had with Auburn in 2009 and 2010. Uh, 2011, on the way to the national championship, was a beat down. So was 2012. This year could be, uh, but they've still improved. And I think the, the lack of mobility at quarterback is going to hurt Auburn. I do think that – I mean, come on. Joe Von Rons is a good football player, but he's not, uh, obviously, Leonard Fournette. And I think Alabama is going to be motivated, but they just have to embrace the grind and, and approach it one week at a time. And I think this team has really done a great job of that since Ole Miss. I mean, I know that they were tired after Tennessee, but they showed a champion's heart in finishing that game. And then, uh, and to be honest with you, I love the team. It wasn't a lot of emotion. Uh, they were happy that they won the game, but they realized that, you know, they've got to win, you know, four more games to get where they want to get. And ultimately, uh, they want to go back to the college football playoff. Now they can control their own destiny. All they have to do is win four more football games, and you're in. And so the first step of the next month of the season, really, when you talk about four games, is Saturday in Starkville, Mississippi, where they can uh, hopefully uh, win uh, win uh, Coach Saban. The only, his only loss to, to Mississippi State was 2007. He can be 8-1 and one, uh, against the Bulldogs uh, after Saturday. Yep, and Alabama has played better on the road all year. That's another thing that gives me a lot of hope. Well, uh, we'll go ahead and bring in our final caller of the night on the Meathead's Barbecue Hotline, the pride of Greenville, Alabama, Mr. Colin Big C. McGuire. What is going on, big man? Not much, Gary. Hey, Drew, how are you, big man? Good, Big C. How are you? What did Pat die? What was he saying on the radio today? Oh, he just said the usual. He thinks Auburn's really improved now all of a sudden, and uh, they got a good chance to beat Georgia. And, uh, and uh, you know, he, he, I think he really believes that uh, they have a chance uh, to compete with Alabama. He knows how good Alabama is, but he uh, he does think that the Auburn team made a big step forward this past Saturday. Well, they won, and I'll say that. And I know the Robinson guy played good. That's all I want to say on that. I don't know. I mean, I mean, I'm, a W is a W. That's all I want to say on that. I ain't going to make any other comments on that. But uh, I have to say, wow, Alabama really looked impressive Saturday night up there in Tuscaloosa. Uh, just uh, I, I guess it looked like that week off was able to recharge their batteries and they was able to – everybody played good and they were ready to play. Yeah, I think they take a lot of pride in what they do. And um, I, I think they got tired of hearing about Leonard Fournette. And uh, a great game plan was, was put into uh, into effect. And, and Les Miles played right into their hands. Uh, he refused to make any major adjustments. He kept trying to run the ball. The guy got 31 yards only because Derrick Henry fumbled to set up a 18-yard run that added to his total. But uh, it was the – one of the greatest performances by an Alabama defense, really ever, in my opinion. You, you go back a little further than me on the history, but I felt like the defensive game plan, Big C, and really the offensive game plan too, for that matter, the special teams game plan. It was a complete game. It was the best home game Alabama's played all year, uh, and it gave me a lot of hope for the rest of the season. I think it showed the whole world what this team can do. Yep, it does, and um, you know, like. Y'all were talking earlier, and I think I was listening to Drew a few minutes ago. The the win against Tennessee, you know, that was a big win. Had they pulled that one out and just like got knocked down against Ole Miss and just 
gradually just slowly getting better and better each week. Now the defense, the defensive line has been great the whole year. Uh, even Ole Miss, despite the fact they scored 43 points, and as you know, a lot of them came off the turnovers, but that's part of football. They didn't gain, I don't know, I think Tennessee's the only team to gain over 100 yards rushing on Alabama this year, if I'm not mistaken. And, and just nobody's been able to run the ball on them. It's just like a wall there. And, um, how many of those folks, uh, see, Darren Lake, is he a senior? Well, Big C, I've seen him listed as both. He may very well be. Uh, I, I was, I, I was, I thought he got a. They got him a medical red shirt last year, but we will see. But uh, he hasn't played a whole lot situation except situationally. He did play against LSU, but regardless if he is or not, I mean, yeah, they've got uh, Daron Payne back at Kendall Holt Jones coming in, and obviously they still have uh, Josh Frazier too. But we'll see. Not really uh, clear on that yet. Mm-hmm. Well, hey, hey, um, I wanted to ask you yeah. a question. All right. A while back, and I'm not sure of the year, uh, and I'm asking this question because I think we can all agree that the only reason, the only way in heck the state can win this game and stay competitive in this game Saturday is by throwing the ball all around the field. But Big C, I remember a game, and I think it was 1980, but you correct me if I'm wrong, but I remember a game against State at Legion Field where a quarterback named right, Dave that. Martyr threw for 400-something. 78, okay, well, I knew you'd know. Uh, Dave Morrow was his name, and he threw for over 400 yards against Alabama, which was unheard of at the time. Nobody threw the ball that much in football at that time. Mm-hmm. But he did throw for over 400 yards in a game that, that State lost to Alabama at Legion Field. What, what do you remember about that ball game? Well, it was played at Legion Field, which normally didn't play State at Legion Field. It was played on November the 11th, I mean the 4th. One thing I remember was that Penn State played Maryland that day, and they destroyed Maryland. And you know, you had Maryland, you had Penn State, and Oklahoma had Alabama at the time. I remember that. And just the deal was, what happened to the quarterback? He was in warmups, and he pulled his hamstring. So they decided to just line him up in the shotgun and just throw the football. And the other thing I remember was they got minus sixteen yards rushing that day. And I remember watching the playback, Coach Bryant's playback show, and they got, they almost could have put 21 on us, but I think Marty sacked, Marty Lyons sacked and got a fumble out of it to stop a drive there. And they were throwing the ball, and it seemed like the game took forever because, uh, you know, they were just throwing the ball all over the place that day. And, uh, uh, but, uh, but Tony Nathan, I remember, scored on an 82 yard run that day. Oh, and I remember, and I don't know, I remember asking Coach Moore this. I always somebody that was, I'm going to, next time I see somebody, like Charleston Southern game, if I run into somebody that played on, on the wishbone teams, I'm going to ask them, there was a play called 57 Ladders, and I don't know exactly what it was, but I remember that day, David Hannah was standing on the sideline just going, ape, you know what, so we needed to call 57 Ladders. He saw something that would work, but I don't know if they did or not. But anyway, it just did uh, – and, and then Lou Eichner scored the last touchdown, and I heard he did a dance in the end zone, and Coach Bryant made a comment about him doing that. Uh, but it was a total win, but they threw the, that guy threw the ball all over the field. 
but we was able to stop them or slow them down. All right, well, uh, any more questions for us? What? Well, um, was, all right, did I read that Chris Black is out for the year? Yes, uh, he had uh, ankle surgery, Big C. He, uh, he's out for the season. They said he tried to play through it, but his ankle was injured, and so they've uh, they've had he's had surgery, and uh, I still think we'll likely move on at season's end. You don't think he'll stay? Is what you're saying? You think he's just going to go on? Is what you think? He needs to move on, really. To be honest, it's always something. Well, okay, so he's he's obviously. I mean, the thing that's sort of wild about him, I remember he was. Uh, more highly touted than um, than Amari, Amari Cooper when he signed with Alabama, but that happened. So uh, I just think know. he needs a fresh start and to play his last year somewhere else. And trust me, he's not going to be in Alabama's top three with who they've got returning. Mm-hmm. Now, what is this about this Charlay guy from Louisiana? I, I didn't know he'd been playing any years. He's been mainly special teams this year. Well, he played. He caught one pass. Still think he could get a mysterious uh, medical red shirt at the end. Well, was, mm-hmm. He's from Patterson, Louisiana. Got a lot of talent, and obviously Robert Foster will return. You've got Ardarius Stewart. You've got uh, Calvin Ridley. So you've got your top three right there. Dalen will be competing. I wouldn't be surprised if Raheem Falcons moved on because I really think Alabama. They've got T.J. Simmons committed from uh, Clay Chalkville, and I think they could sign as many as three more. The kid that committed this past week, Trevon Diggs, I talked to him on my show. He is going to be a corner. Uh, don't get it twisted. He's 6'2", 185. He'll be a defensive back. So I think they're going – I wouldn't be surprised if they took three more guys that were going to be wide receivers. Greg All right, let me Little, ask you. Well, hmm. it to Ole Miss. Go ahead. What about Brad, Bradley Sylvie is his last name. Is he playing that much this year or not? No, he's just a special teams guy, Big C. And this is this his last year at Alabama, if I remember am I correct on that, or do you think he might or just yeah, he got another year to go? No, I understand. Okay. okay. I'm trying to think of somebody else I wanna ask about uh those well, fifth year about somebody. All right. I wanna ask you about somebody. I, I wasn't there but Drew heard a recruiting talk last last night up in Huntsville and it came up about Marlon Davidson and uh, there seems to be a little bit of momentum shifting from Auburn to Alabama for Marlon Davidson. I'm asking you this because you live in Greenville. Are you hearing the same thing? I talked to somebody that sort of knows what's going on a lot better than me, and he thinks that's a possibility. And I understood that Kirby Smart, when they played Hillcrest Evergreen the week before, during Alabama's off week, he was down there with, was hanging around here all day long and was down there in Evergreen when Greenville High played him. So there might be some uh, might be some uh, movement there, a possibility. And as you know, with Nick Saban being in there, uh, he got two guys from Auburn High School to come to Alabama. So anything's possible. I definitely don't rule it out. Well, and, uh, and I do think he's basically the only recruit Auburn has that uh, Alabama would have an interest in. Really? Yeah. Well, that's interesting. Uh, do they, since, y'all brought, since you brought that up, Drew, do they, 
Do they really have that many head-to-head matches with Auburn or not when they go recruiting in-state or wherever? Not too many. There's usually – there there can be as many as a handful, but there, there's not usually too many guys that they go head-to-head for, for because, first of all, they uh, the offenses are completely different. And then, second of all, you know, now Muschamp is there defensively, but Alabama's done such a – has done a much better job of – Sending guys on to the NFL uh, defensively now. Will Muschamp's going to try to change that, but they're still really not really recruiting the same people for the most part. Okay, I got you. Um, is um, let's see. Do you think speaking of defensive linemen, do you think like Jonathan Allen and uh, um, Aishon, uh Robinson will probably be gone after this year? Um, I think Aishon definitely and Derrick Henry definitely. Uh, John Allen, I think, is on the fence. Uh, he's a guy that's going to be kind of a tweener in the first and second round. It's going to depend on how he finishes the season and uh, how he feels and how Alabama likely finishes the season. But uh, we'll see. Uh, I think that's uh, to be determined. Uh, I do think uh, if, uh, that Reuben Foster will stay uh, to become the Mike linebacker and take over Reggie Ragland's spot. And then Eddie Jackson will have some thinking to do. Uh We'll see. I think he needs another year at safety to get more comfortable. Of course, the health is a part of the situation as well. But I do think there's two certainties right now, and then John Allen is uh, another one uh, to definitely watch. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But, uh, now, I know um, I know State's, what, about number 95 in rushing so I can't see them running on us. Now, I don't know about I know he's a good passer, but you think he's um, – I know he only thrown one interception, so I think maybe a couple of interceptions might be coming our way or should, or hopefully that will. Uh, I know Darunyan Wilson's really good receiver. Who else they got his receivers over there? Is that his main target? Uh, well, Fred Ross. It's basically Fred Ross and Darunyan. Uh That's the two main guys uh, that, uh, that, they, that they have that uh, you need to worry about. And then – you know, uh, obviously, uh, they've had uh, Fred Brown uh, make some plays as well. Holloway a little bit, but he's been mostly a kick returner. But the ones that you, you really need to contain to run you Wilson and Fred Ross, and then eventually, I think they can they will mu- they will mush rush and 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 make Dak throw from the pocket and, and make him make a couple of mistakes. I, I think Alabama's going to win the game twenty eight seventeen. I just think they're the better football team. Well, I'm I mean you ain't too far off. I picked thirty one to seventeen. Which would be either way be fine. So, so this might be a, a grinded out type thing for a while, and finally just take over in the second half. You think? Oh yeah, no doubt. I think it's. Uh, I think Alabama will ease away in the second half, and I think the defense will will stiffen and make plays. And I think uh, that, I think they want to make a statement. I think a lot of people are questioning them still, even uh, that maybe they can't come down from Leonard Fournette. Want to see how they face one of the better quarterbacks in the country, and I think the defense will be up to the challenge. I think Alabama offensively is playing much better, and I hope I look for Jake Coker to protect the football. If Alabama protects the football, they're going to be hard to beat by anybody, and uh, Jake's oh, yeah, getting better. And look, 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 and we, I look for that to continue, and then the special teams have been really good. So, Well, Big C, man, we really appreciate you joining us, man, always. And, Thank uh, you. We always, always love hearing the insight, man, the, the memories. Thank you. All right, good. Thank y'all. Enjoy it. See you, Kerry. I'll talk to you tomorrow sometime for Friday, big man. All right. Thank you, big C. <laughs>
see all these names just to get that in before the hobnail. <laughs> but uh, anyway, <laughs> that's called Big C. McGuire, our loyal caller from Greenville, Alabama. But uh, we're going to go ahead and wrap up this edition of BAMS Radio. We want to thank our guest, uh, Ben Wake, from Columbus Commercial Dispatch, uh, Will Lowry, former Alabama and Hoover Defense for Zach, and uh, A.P. Stedham, my cohort at BAMMAG.com. So, for Judy Armour of ESPN 977 The Zone, for Thomas Watt, the Touchdown Alabama Magazine, I'm Kerry Clark at BamaMag.com, wishing you a good night and roll time you've been listening to Bama's Radio, a member of the Bama Sports Radio family. Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.